it's very Kirk Cousins to essentially have a half of garbage time and then turn it into a win. <laughs> Is your one-stop shop for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. There's a lot of overtime this week, and we are all Jacksonville. So, hey, we got Connor here. We've got Sean. Hello. And we got Ronan. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's all uh, in the, you know, build-up to the festive period? Good, good. Uh, the uh, the World Cup ended on Sunday, which was kind of epic. Probably the best, probably the best fi- big final since 2005 Champions League, and probably the best World Cup final ever. Um, but uh, now we have to go back to normal Premier League, which is going to be strange. That's going to be a transition that I haven't experienced. Um, but yeah, that was Messi won. Uh, Leo Messi, the greatest player ever, finally. He won. He got the Holy Grail. He won the he won the World Cup. So now football can be uh, officially ended. The, the the final the final mission has been accomplished. Excellent. I was wondering why it was still going. <laughs> Very good. So you're kind of in you're in detox mode now from all the all the football over the last month. Then. Well, yeah, until St Stephen's Day when the Premier League starts up and the whole the season that got interrupted starts up again. Mm. Um, it's going to be strange, though. It's going to be strange. It was quite a good World Cup, despite all the off-field stuff uh, on the field. It was quite uh, entertaining. Well, that's good. At least I suppose. Well, yourself, Fitz, you've uh, you've already headed up the country to the sticks. Yeah, back in cabin. So enjoying the quiet and the all that kind of stuff so yeah nothing too exciting back here so far just been catching up on a bunch of tv and podcasts and articles and stuff like that so you know as we get further into the week there'll be more helping out whatever like that and more of the family showing up but uh, for now it's pretty quiet yeah very good yeah i'm off this week as well myself we're not heading down to carry on thursday but uh we've got a few bits and pieces around the house and seeing a few people before we head off and all that kind of jazz but for the most part it's just settling back getting rested up and uh getting ready for the for the christmas season uh, and geez we're gonna have games all throughout it although as we'll get to on the previews if i remember correctly it's a pile of shite games as well that are on in the uh in the specialist slots this week but we'll uh we'll talk about those when we get to them First up, a couple of signings. Uh, can these be the pieces that push them over the edge? Buffalo have signed wide receiver Cole Beasley and Dallas have signed wide receiver T.Y. Hilton to bring in some support troops for this kind of back end of the season run. Um, Beasley obviously has been with them previously, so this is kind of bringing him back in, presumably with his established relationship and knowledge of the of the offense and so on. Uh, Dallas picking up T.Y. Hilton as... They just thought they needed a few more extra pieces. Jerry Jones is mad to just sign a like good receiver from a couple of years ago, and I think as you said, Fitz at the time, like the the staff will probably just tell him that it's Odell Beckham, and he won't know the difference. Um, <laughs> but yeah, do we see either of these being difference makers? I've always liked T.Y. Hilton, um, but you know when you're sitting out in the street at this point, you kind of wonder how much is left in the tank. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it'll be a huge difference maker. Uh, like I think they have other options. Obviously, Gallup and C.D. Lamb will be the top two options, and Dalton Schultz at tight end will be the third. In terms of what's kind of behind them, they've kind of had chances. Uh, Jalen Tolbert was given a chance, didn't really make much impression early in the season. James Washington's back, but he's off a major injury, so I don't know how much he is 
ready to bring this season. So I think for a team that's obviously contender and has clinched his playoff spot, then it mutually makes sense to kind of pick up a guy who maybe has something left in the tank, a savvy veteran, and help out that offense, which has stuttered a little bit in recent weeks. And I think it's basically the same with Cole Beasley, albeit in that case they have more experience with him. I think, you know, they've had some exciting plays from their current slot receiver, Isaiah McKenzie, but he's also had some games where he's been pretty unreliable in terms of his hands and his routes. So just having Cole Beasley, a very boring guy who just, you know, will be at the spot that you expect and he'll be able to catch the ball uh, with decent probability, although he had some uh, bad chances uh, on the game uh, last week. But, you know, that's the theory anyway. Uh, although, you know, given his history of opinions, uh, it was... I was going to say, when you said like, <laughs> oh, he's a boring, safe pair of hands, I'm like, that's not how I remember on the field. Cole Beasley. On the, on, on the field, I mean, like not, not in terms of... His... <laughs> Off the uh, your extracurricular uh, opinions and activities. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah, I'd be I'd be more optimistic about Hilton than Beasley. I think Hilton gives a good third option to, as Ronan said, a playoff team. And I mean, we saw what the impact someone like OBJ had had on the Rams last year. So it's it's a useful it's a useful slot to have kind of that veteran big big game player where you need them. With Beasley, I don't know. I mean, I can't. Kind of feel like he's maybe passed it a little bit. I mean, we remember that he barely lasted a game uh, with the Bucks earlier this season, and he only caught one pass, I think, in the Dolphins game at the weekend. So, I mean, I don't know how useful uh, he re- he really is going to be. But again, I mean, a useful veteran who knows the system is probably more positive than negative. But I w- I would see probably Hilton more likely to make an impact down the stretch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've had a couple of injuries around the league, so we'll start with kind of the big ones. Um, Arizona quarterback Kyler Murray has torn his ACL uh, and he's gone for the season. This is likely going to run into next season as well, so that'll be kind of question marks around. You know, there's a lot of questions about whether or not Arizona should be doing a teardown. Their backup quarterback, Colt McCoy, then received a concussion, so he's currently week-to-week. Uh, Seattle defensive tackle Brian Moore has done his ACL, and he's gone for the season. Tyler Laquette, the wide receiver, has injured his finger, so he's one to three weeks. And Kenneth Walker, their running back, has injured his ankle, and is week-to-week. Uh, Jacksonville offensive tackle Cam Robinson has done his meniscus and has gone for the season. Indianapolis running back Jonathan Taylor has injured his ankle and has gone for the season. And LA Rams center Brian Allen and wide receiver Ben Slonak have both injured their calves and are done for the rest of the season. So these are, you know, I suppose there's a difference here between the the teams that will be playing in January and February and and those that won't. Uh, the majority, I'm not sure, outside of maybe Jacksonville, if any of these teams will be. Yeah, like, look, like I think obviously the big one is Kyler Murray, which we just about missed last week. We were kind of still waiting to see what the story was. And obviously this week, Coke McCoy got the concussion, so Trace McSurley came in and might be playing this week. And, you know, that's not great for Arizona. Yeah, it must be a pretty bad season. Uh, but obviously the big uh, implication is that obviously ACL injuries tend to be significant injuries that take longer than maybe just the nine months we basically have available to the start of next season. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Uh, but uh, like that would obviously have huge implications for that squad. And given the huge uncertainty that exists at pretty much every level of that organization, of that question mark over your quarterback as well going 23 is going to be something to keep an eye on in the off season. In terms of the playoff relevant plays like Seattle, like, you know, they're kind of on the edge of playoff relevance right now with a tough schedule uh, next week against Kansas City. Tyler Lockett's obviously been a superstar for them this year alongside DK Metcalf, so that's definitely a big loss. They're going to have to rely on guys like Marquise Goodwin to step up. Don't know how that's going to work out. And Brian Money was a solid piece of that defensive line rotation, and it's not a rotation which has performed that well. So. Oh, was it Money? I always thought it was Moon. Yeah, it's, it's Money. But, uh, uh, and then Cam Money, Robinson Money, Money, actually, Money. Money. you know, he's a bit of a... 
he, he's a bit of an issue for for Cam Robinson. Obviously, you're going down to Walker Little. Like Cam Robinson's never been like a superstar of offensive tackle, but he's been like a maybe just below Pro Bowl level, depending yeah. where he is. And I think for Jacksonville, a team which obviously very much has broken into the playoff picture, that's not something you want to see right now. So we'll have to see if there's any effect on yeah. terms of their protection of uh, of Lawrence. As for Allen, uh, the, the Taylor Allen and Skornick for Indianapolis and the Rams, like I think those are things where just they're playoff relevant, right? Like they're bubble yeah. wrapping because they know there's no point in risking them for the rest of the yeah, season. Yeah, this is just shutdown. Both these teams are in shutdown mode and if there's any injury that's more than a, you know, a week or so, then they'll be done for the season and we'll probably see more of that in the few weeks to come. Yeah. Um, and then other bits of injuries around the league. So Jalen Hurts has injured his shoulder, so he's week to week. Uh, he's unlikely for week 16, which means Gardner Minshew will play uh, if he's if he's gone, which would be exciting. We haven't seen Minshew in a while. Uh, I heard a funny story about him during the week that uh, he tried to break his own hand with a hammer to get an extra year of uh, college eligibility at one time. So I think he will put his body on the line. Um, Tennessee quarterback Ryan Tannehill has injured his ankle and he's week to week. He's unlikely for week 16 as well, which means Malik Willis will be coming in and playing if he's out. Um, Willis has had what two games as a starter already this season um, and didn't exactly blow minds but we'll see um, Baltimore wide receiver Devin Duvernay has injured his foot and he's gone for at least four weeks as he's on IR uh, Sammy Watkins has been picked up after his Green Bay release to kind of provide a bit of relief there uh, Marcus Peters has gone for a week uh, one to three weeks with a calf injury and Calais Campbell has injured his knee and he's week to week and Cincinnati's Sam Hubbard has hurt his calf and has gone for a couple of weeks between two and five so these are a little bit more playoff uh, focused Philly obviously just, you know, they're already a fair bit ahead. They want to just make sure that Jalen is ready for playoffs. Uh, the problem is, is it this week now that they're coming up against the, um, they're coming up against the divisional rivals and they would, yeah, they'd very much like to have him in to play Dallas. But um, other than that, look, Ryan Tannehill, he's, he's better than Mil- Willis at the moment, but I never rated him particularly highly. And I don't think like, I, I don't like the Titans anyway, but the Titans, Without Tannehill, I don't think he causes a massive difference apart from just like they're just less enjoyable to watch. Uh, Baltimore are tough watch at the moment as well, but hopefully the return of the quarterback will be a little bit better. And Cincinnati, look, you know, survive for two to five weeks. They're, they're, they're doing all right and they've got an okay enough schedule ahead of themselves. Yeah, I think the, the big story here in terms of who's going to have the impact is the Ravens. Obviously, they're. Their season kind of melted down last year, largely because injuries started to pile up and it just became too much. And it's kind of, you're getting a sense of deja vu. It's, it's starting to fall apart again. They, they've dropped down. I think they've lost two straight now. They, they've got, got key injuries, obviously, at quarterback. And now big pieces. Duvernay was having a, a pretty good season on both as a returner. And he was getting into the into the into the you know the standard wide receiver game as, as a receiver for the offense. Peters is obviously a, a kind of a veteran cornerback who's a big part of what they do, and, and Campbell is quite good as well. So these are these are re- relatively big and important pieces that they're losing, and they're not quite in the playoffs yet. I mean, they'll yeah. probably still squeak in, but I mean, it's it's if I'm a Ravens fan, I'm I'm getting serious flashbacks to last year when it all kind of melted down. Um, so yeah, let's, and I like the Ravens and I'd like to see them in the playoffs, but yeah, I can see them. I can see them falling away if they, if they don't reverse what's going on there. Mm. I agree with you for the most part. I'm not sure I want to see the Ravens in the playoffs on their current <laughs> form, just cause I don't think they've been that, like I'd, I'd take Jacksonville over the Ravens at the moment, uh, for a bit of excitement in it, or at least for the quarter when Jacksonville decide to play. Yeah. Um, and I suppose just in terms of Tennessee, I think they're pretty much, Unless Jacksonville start losing, 
going to be in a in and out game in the final week of the season. Yeah, so that might incentivize them to play rookie Malik Willis for the next couple of weeks. Um, that they have reason to win because if Jacksonville thirty they could get it earlier. But you know, with the way Tannehill looked after that season, with the the team is talking, he's definitely probably out for this week. And don't be surprised if he's out next week. But uh, if unless he's actually dead, they will probably roll him out for week eighteen against that Jacksonville game. Yeah. Uh, other bits of news from around the league: Arizona GM Steve Kime is uh, taking an indefinite health-related uh, leave of absence. Report said he will be gone after the season. Um, yeah, so interim GM duty is going to be split between the vice president of player personnel, Quentin Harris, and the vice president of pro personnel, Adrian Wilson. Um, they haven't given any specifics on this, and I think they specifically said legally they're not allowed to. Um, so, I mean, that that obviously means the Kyan family don't want to be discussing what it is about. Uh, so we'll kind of leave it there for that. Uh, they've confirmed that there's going to be no Mexico International Series game in 2023. This is due to stadium upgrades going in for the uh, for the World Cup stuff? Or... It is, yeah, 2026. Yeah. Um, I do think they wouldn't need to go this early on the building of it, but I suppose, yeah. Um, so the big growing report on this, which is a big positive for ourselves, is that uh, the lack of a Mexico International game is now starting uh, an increase in reports of p- potential for two German games in 2023 instead which would be um, very exciting. And Hall of Fame Pittsburgh running back Franco Hires dies at 72. He had four Super Bowl rings, uh, over 14,000 yards and 100 touchdowns. Uh, it was quite a famous one of the Immaculate Reception, which was used to win the division round over the Raiders. Um, I believe the NFL are doing some kind of Immaculate Reception-based promo now on the Christmas Day games as well to like, yeah, recreate it, them. Yeah. It was coming up to the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception this mm-hmm. weekend, so they were going to do it uh, for that. And I believe also there was an induction of his uh, uh, jersey, I think, into the Hall Hall of Fame as well. So obviously, obviously, a player who was associated with one of the most dominant, you know, franchises, uh, you know, fran- yeah. sorry, one of the you know, most teams during that period, like Pittsburgh, were, you know, they were absolutely unbeatable, albeit a lot of us at their defense. Franco Harris was the engine of the offense. Uh, your opinions on Terry Bradshaw may vary. It's been 50 years. You can probably uh, <laughs> leave him at the door. But obviously, he's a guy who had over 14,000 yards, over 100 touchdowns, you know, and obviously that play is the kind of, you know, the Hall of Fame is about the greatest play the immaculate reception obviously 22 seconds left in the game the ball ricocheting off a defender right into his hands and he goes for the touchdown to win the game uh those are the kind of things that only happen once in a blue moon so obviously a guy in you know very important to the history of the nfl as yeah. for the steve kime situation like look i think we all know where this is going and probably the head coach where this is going as well like this is a team that is very much on the precipice probably of a major change but uh, obviously the health related reasons probably means at least that will be the team will be forced to do that in a more uh, sensitive fashion than perhaps uh, usually occurs um, and more Germany football certainly won't say no to that oh yeah, yeah 100% uh, preferably not in Frankfurt <laughs> and uh, on that lovely note we'll go and look at the games from last week <laughs> So first off, and much to Sean's delight, Indianapolis at Minnesota, <laughs> uh, 36 to 39. Minnesota pull off the biggest comeback in the history of the NFL. A 33-point deficit was overcome as Indianapolis just, frankly, just fucking blow it. Like it was, it was awful. They had a uh, Minnesota created lead, they had four turnovers, two for a touchdown. Cousins then got hot uh, by the end, like by the end of the game, but. 460 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions. Like, this was 
an interesting one because it didn't all go through Jefferson, as you'd imagine. Jefferson got his over 100 and, and a touchdown. But it was that Osborne had 156 and a touchdown. Cook nearly 200 yards and a touchdown. Like, it was, it was remarkable because this was... Was it thirty-three to nothing at the half? Am I right in saying that? Yes. Yeah, like yeah. yeah, so thirty-three to nothing at the half. Everyone is making Jeff Saturday is unbeatable on a Saturday jokes online, and isn't it amazing? All that kind of stuff, and then he just actively like coached to not lose from a thirty-three point up position. Like it was. It was maddening. Like he, he coached scared. He didn't want to take any risks. It was it was awful, frankly. And like, yes, it wasn't that their offense was churning. It was that they were able to be kind of you know their defense was doing good and they were getting turnovers and Cousins was making mistakes and things like that. But like, oh, well done to Minnesota. Congratulations on a very good comeback. It's very it's very Kirk Cousins to essentially have a half of garbage time and then turn it into a win. <laughs> but like like fuck me, how do you mess this up? How do you score three points in the second half after scoring thirty three points in the first half? Like it is it was shocking stuff to me. Um but yeah, look Minnesota looking a bit more swagger here. The the the, the other thing just that we need because like we do need to also address the elephant in the room on this, that this is not Minnesota versus the fucking Buffalo Bills or something. Mm. And they got down and they had a talk to themselves and they climbed out of that hole. Like the Colts are terrible. The Colts are missing their biggest weapons on offense with Taylor going out injured. Like we're talking about a Matt Ryan who had 180 yards led offense here. And they dropped like they dropped to 33 behind. Like, that is not the sign of a winning team. And yes, they came back from it out of an incredibly lucky set of circumstances because even in the comeback, we had Kirk throwing another stupid interception. We had, was it a turnover on fourth down that failed as well? But like, mm-hmm. this was well done, big comeback. You got out of there, you're skinning your teeth. Feel good for yourself. You should never have been in that situation. And this is not a spot that like, this is not a, a team that is doing this against another team. This is not a team that's going to the Super Bowl. I 100% agree. Uh, and I imagine if there are Vikings fans listening, they probably think I have quite an agenda against them. But color me incredibly unimpressed by this greatest comeback in NFL history because you should be far more worried about how you got into this mess rather than how you dug your, your way out of it. I mean, if it was the Bills or the Eagles or the Chiefs, fine, you know, epic comeback. This was the Colts, right? This was a, this was a, a Colts team that scored seven times in that first half, because we, we it must be noted that of the 33 points, four of those were field goals, which means a good team, a proper team, would have been about 45 points up on the Vikings at halftime, <laughs> given the way they were playing. There were failures in all three phases. The, the offense gave away tons of turnovers. The defense was playing incredibly soft, just gifting yards to the Colts that allowed them to kick all these field goals and, and get their scores that there was a there was at least one special teams touchdown scored in this run i mean it was just it was the vikings were just shitting the bed comprehensively and then the colts just came out second half and decided to shit the bed more uh, and because they had the greatest choker in nfl history and matt ryan under center they were able to do it um and i mean the fact that cousins throws two like there's you know two 
two turnovers and Cousins plays pretty underwhelming, even in the middle of, of an epic comeback. The fact that their skill players are not having the greatest day, even though they're maybe racking up the numbers. I mean, Thielen was anonymous for most of the game. Dalvin Cook, he was good through the pass, but his run plays are basically two big runs and otherwise not much. I mean, otherwise it was just Justin Jefferson doing an awful lot of stuff. I mean, the Vikings are a mess of a team. And I can't understand how they're eleven and three, and I can't see any path to them winning the Super Bowl. But I, I, yeah, I just this game was just farcical in how bad each team was, and ultimately the Colts managed to suck just a little bit more than the Vikings, and therefore the Vikings won. But do not, yeah, I do not consider this to be a lesson about how the Vikings have great heart and will kick ass in the playoffs because. Against a good team, they would have they would have been well dead by halftime, even if they managed to score thirty six or whatever points in the second half. Yeah, and I, I do kind of find it funny that the the afterwards they were elevating the comments from the defense, saying, "Oh, you're only going to get five touchdowns." I think Kirk Cousins literally said, uh, "I thought he was being sarcastic," and he probably was being sarcastic. It just happened to be this game was so ridiculously dumb that that ended up happening and coming true. And I think Kirk Cousins probably, uh, you know, ironically, last week when they lost to the Lions, he probably had one of his best games ever. Uh, this season and this game where they come back and have this epic comeback was probably one of his worst games because he was like 90% of the reason that they were in that huge hole in the first half that first half was just a cacophony of fuck up after fuck up now they weren't all uh, Kirk Cousins Um, there was a blocked punt touchdown for example but he threw a pick six um, late on in the first half he failed to get them like he, he ended up having two failed drives and downs early in this game giving the uh, Colts good uh, good field position. And, you know, it's just pathetic, really. And then the second half, like, I was just like, I had put this in the background, so I was really annoyed I had to go rewatch this game, uh, the second half of this game, at least. Um, and <laughs> it was just one of those things where it's just like, I just it kept touching up, up, and up. And I was like, and, like, if, if you just look at the stats, obviously, going, going all those points, it looks fairly linear. But, like, at the point where they're actually getting back in this game, I think it was, like, 36 to 21, he had two more turnovers very quickly. One of them after uh, the Colts gave them pretty good field position on their yeah. own fumble. And it's just a situation where it's like, you know, it wasn't a great second half. It was actually a pretty sloppy second half, especially once the game got close. But, you know, the Colts just gave them chance after chance after chance. Like this defense for the Colts was working its fucking ass off. And yet the offense just give them nothing. As Sean mentioned, like, you know, they have five field goals for this score. They have a defensive touchdown in this score. How much of that, therefore, is down to um, this, this game? like this actual offense like Matt Ryan had only one touchdown in this game and most of the work was been done on the offense by the running backs it was just it was pathetic overall to be perfectly frank and it looked like Jeff Saturday he just you know I think that the joke when he came in would be just he would be an old school coach who would just like play conservatives and this was just this was him to a T and he deserved to lose this game the way he chose to play and actually having no balls until you know and like the one and it's unfortunate because the one time he did show balls is which when he went down for went for it on fourth down late in this game to kill off the clock um, it didn't come off uh, but like I know you have the Matt Ryan on the sneak like Matt Ryan is like just a desiccated husk of a man at this point so I'm not that surprised that it can't, like it, it didn't come together at all and you know when they had a chance in overtime to win this game they also uh, rejected it there as well they just kicked it away and we thought this was going to end in a tie and that would have been a very suitable way for this game to end but you know a great Jefferson play who you know really came on in the second half was enough to get the field goal here for the for the, the Vikings but like the, yeah, I know the Vikings are a paper tiger I, I, I'm pretty much come around to that uh, with the rest of you on that uh, but the Colts I just think you know the only good thing that comes out of this is that there's no way that they're going to keep Matt Ryan there's no way they're going to keep Jeff 
Saturday after this type of utter collapse. And that's the only good thing I could say about them uh, coming out of this. But just overall, like pathetic display from the Indianapolis Colts. And, you know, you know, 19, dri- like 19 drives were given to Vikings to win this game. Incredible inefficiency, incredible suckitude. Uh, but, you know, the Colts just managed to up them one level more uh, in this particular occasion. Yeah. I must say it's it's one of those ones. Not that I think this is what was happening in the spot, but Jesus, if you were to ever take was it Flores' accusations in Miami that they were told we prefer um, draft pick position over uh, winning a random game towards the back end of the season, this would have that kind of feel to it. Uh, next up, we have Miami at Buffalo, twenty-nine to thirty-two in a snow game? Question mark? Because as you said yourself, Sean, snow games don't end up with like sixty points scored in them, really. Eventually, uh, it was eventually a snow game. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was like four percent of a snow game. Uh, so Alan, now the fa- the fans did make it snow a little bit during the game, though. They did, yeah, <laughs> and they got told off for throwing snowballs. And there's a very funny video of them throwing one at Colleen Wolf while she's presenting, and are uh, getting quite mad at them. Uh, Allen had a hell of a day, 300 yards, four touchdowns and a fumble. He also had 77 yards on the ground and he had a two-point conversion. But yeah, he kind of dragged them all the way back into it with a late touchdown drive and then finally closing it off with the field goal that was able to close it down and win it for them. Despite having a couple of wobbles in the third quarter, in particular the four points and a fumble, uh, we saw Waddle get a 67-yard touchdown to a... We said we wanted to see something out of Tua. It was slightly better, but not great. Like, he went over 200 yards, had two touchdowns. Um, But yeah, like, it just... Their offense, and I get that it was cold, and I get particularly later on, there's a bit of snow and thing. Like, they just don't seem to be firing like they were earlier on in the season. I think Hill came out after the game and said, look, I apologize, I wasn't up to scratch and it won't happen again. Because you see, Waddle got his yardage 110, I was 114 in the touchdown, and Mozart's run game 136 in the ground. So, like, there wasn't there wasn't a huge amount of Hill sightings in this game either. Um, but this is kind of what we wanted to see from Miami, even though it wasn't top flight. Like, they went up to Buffalo in cold weather, they ran them to the very end, and it was kind of a a play clock, well-managed, getting down and just being able to finish off with a field goal. Essentially, Buffalo managing to do what the Chiefs fucked up doing in their game uh, uh, that went overtime against Houston this week, of just being able to bring it down and, and, and close it out. But yeah, so this is... I, I come away from this thinking Miami can actually hang in a game with Buffalo, um, particularly this type of game, particularly if they could get Hill involved a little bit more. I think, looking at it, two is still not 100%. Um, now, I don't think that means they should go to someone else because I think him at 90, even though I'm not his biggest fan, is still better than what the what the next option is. But, um, yeah, you got to kind of look at it and go, right, can he be healthy for the playoffs? And if he's healthy for the playoffs, can they do something? Because... You know, they did all right. Even the defense did okay in this. As much as Allen had a day, like, one, a lot of touchdowns, didn't give up as much yardage as, as, as they would have otherwise thought. But, um, but yeah, no, I thought both teams acquitted themselves quite well in this one overall. Yeah, like, I think Tua is a good quarterback, and I'll talk about him more in a moment. But I think the big thing I took away from this game at the end is that Josh Allen is different. Josh Allen makes game-changing plays by himself. Josh Allen grabs games by the scruff of the neck and he wins the game for you even when everything's going wrong. Even when he's doing bad things, he just turns around the next play and he makes special plays. When you talk about the touchdown drive, um, and this is coming after you know a bunch of punts in the second half, 
uh, and you know the fumble on the previous drive by Fowler himself after basically giving up a you know 21 to 13 lead at the half, um, and Miami had just chipped away at it and got ahead. You know this is the this is the key drive uh, for them after uh, Miami got a field goal off that fumble, a bit an eight point game. You know Allen has that 45 yard rush. He do he takes it upon himself and he does what is completely necessary and he gets them into this game. He makes the two point conversion, um, which is basically you know uh, you know a bit uh, mad altogether. Um, and you know he's the one driving this team forward and then on the field goal drive he's the one making the big plays um, when it's necessary early in the drive and then yeah to be fair they lean on Div and Singletary to kind of drive it down kill off the clock and that ends up being a big difference they do get a nice DPI as well so you know I think it was kind of very similar to the first game here albeit with obviously opposite weather you know instead of being a hot game it was a, it was a cold game uh, but that kind of situation where the Bills looked like the better team. And I think if you stack these two rosters together right now, um, the Bills are a much more mature team and a much more ready to win a championship team. Um, and that first half, that looked like it. You know, 21 to 13 up. But just in the third quarter, things just got, a, just got away from them. I don't know what uh, defensive adjustments Miami made or whether it was just a situation where they were comfortable, maybe a little bit more conservative. But I think the, the biggest strength and weakness with the Bills this season is that you know, they, they have to rely on Allen to do the things to win these type of games. Like, but that's why you have Josh Allen. That's why you have him in there and doing these things. Whereas on the other hand, for Miami, like, it's not a, you know, it's not a conservative play because obviously you have Jalen Waddle who, you know, it's kind of funny with the Penguin celebration that he, you know, was much better in the cold. But anyway, uh, him and Hill, you know, are obviously such dynamic playmakers that Tua only needs to get it to them. But Tua, to be fair, after a couple of really tough weeks, just getting back on track and having a solid game here and not making mistakes and not turning the ball over, I think it's just a huge step up against a defense which, even without Von Miller and players like that, it's still a solid defense. But I think the other good thing for Miami is that, you know, this is coming from, um, you know, the wider Shanahan type system, which traditionally has been very good at running the ball, albeit I think, you know, some teams have cottoned on to that in terms of defensive schemes. Um, but to get Raheem Mostert basically by himself get over like nearly 140 yards uh, and Salvin Admin had a couple of uh, nice runs as well. I think that's a really if they can have a good run game to go with the Jalen Waddle Tyreek Hill tandem then that makes them a very very scary proposition going down here but of course this is a huge loss because of course this basically means uh, Buffalo have, have won the AFC East so Miami will be going on the road uh, they will be facing some tough conditions they're probably hoping for some things but so you know I think for Miami they can probably take heart from this after a couple of tough weeks, but, but you know they definitely could have really done with this win. But you know Buffalo, I think they're just a little bit of a better team right now, a bit more mature with a quarterback who just has that X factor, which means that you know when the chips are down, you always got to give them the favor over a team like Miami, which has a really efficient, really well suited guy in Tua, but he's just he's not Josh Allen, and he never will be. Yeah, not an awful lot to add in terms of the Bills. I mean, Josh Allen, the fourth quarter, is is unstoppable. And it's interesting that they seem to be, at least they were earlier in the season, kind of managing his injury by only asking him to do crazy things in the fourth quarter, like, like big runs and such. Like, it's an interesting way of trying to, to maximize their, their equity without damaging their most prized asset. Um, the defense is pretty good. Both defenses, in fact, stepped up in the second half and, and really went going. I think the more interesting side of this is the Dolphins in the sense that they... I, it's hard to figure out exactly what the Dolphins team is. They seem to be quite a streaky team. They're a team that wins a bunch of games in a row, then they'll lose a bunch of games in a row, then they'll win a bunch of games in a row, and then they'll lose a bunch of games in a row. Like, they're eight and six, and those six losses have come in batches of three three defeats on the bounce. 
So that feels like it's a momentum team. It's a, it's a team that when they're in their groove, they're kind of unstoppable. But once they get out of their groove, it can take them a while to get back into it. And you kind of feel that maybe they're now falling out of that groove. And it's it's going to be interesting to see how they can rebuild it. They still have two divisional games left against the Jets and the Pats. So in terms, I mean, uh, okay, the division is gone, but they they, they still have a good shot, uh, you know, at the wild card if they can win those two games. Um, but it does seem as though maybe teams have figured them out a little bit. It feels like the passing game, which was a big part of what was working, as teams have slowly been taking pieces of that away, like, you know, taking away the center of the field. Or in this game, it was disruption of timing. That basically they were trying to throw Tua off his, his timing game, which made the pass game much less um, effective. I mean, there was red zone execution problems. There was a, a you know a couple of drop touchdown passes, um, and yet despite all this, that the you know the, the the passing game wasn't quite working, and yet the running game was was going crazy. Mostart had uh, quite a strong game against one of the best run defenses in the league. You never felt that Miami ever fully trusted the run game always defaulting to the pass and the big spots and you that's a coaching issue that that's a that's a play call issue that's a that's a head coach needing to sit down and realize okay i know i have two really good wide receivers but it, when it comes to the crunch i need to be able to rely on other people so i don't feel that the dolphins quite know who they are as a team they're still trying to put it together and it's getting quite late in the season to still be trying to figure out. But if they do get on that run because they do have Waddle and Hill and, and two when he's on form is a pretty good uh, quarterback, they, they can be dangerous. But as this game showed, when it isn't clicking, I mean, yes, they can, they can can their defense allows them to still compete with someone with the Bills, and, and that's something to be uh, admired. But you feel that they're not going to get those big wins uh, unless all air, all parts of the game are being trusted by the by the coaches, they, they know what they're doing and, and they're willing to make the big calls when it counts because relying on what is essentially a very one-dimensional uh, passing game is going to become less and less effective as, as the kind of the crunch stage of the season comes along. Yeah, next up, we have Dallas at Jacksonville, 34-40 to 40 in overtime. Rayshon Jenkins had a pick six to cap an impressive day. I think he had two interceptions and a buttload of tackles as Jacksonville managed to overhaul a 17-point deficit. It was, uh, yeah, it was just remarkable, really. Like, you know, they came into the second half down 11, and then they proceeded to get scored on two field goals. So, like... It's not like they came out of the blocks in the second half being, well, we're going to fix this. They allowed them to push from an 11-point to a 17-point lead and then decided, all right, it's time for us to finally start playing. And this seems to be a bit of a recurring thing with this Jacksonville team at the moment that I don't know why Trevor Lawrence seems to only be able to play one incredible quarter per game and... This was this was it. He just decided to go a little bit crazy in it. Uh, Etienne at 127, Lawrence 318 yards, four touchdowns and an interception. Uh, like Jones went over 103 touchdowns. Kirk nearly got to the hundred mark. It was, it was great. And the Jacksonville defense started to step it up as well. They really kind of shut down Dak, shut down his legs as well as holding the run game in check for the uh, for the for the Dallas Cowboys. But yeah, it was, it was almost like complacency is is how it felt when i was watching it it felt like dallas were kind of like well this is done and they were just meh we're, we don't don't need to focus on this anymore and jacksonville just kind of went now is my time to strike and then just started putting it on them really really quickly and that wasn't you know without mistakes during that period as well you know like yeah it was it just like it feels like they should have like they gave Dallas several opportunities to just, you know, 
close this game out. They they fumbled it with, what, two minutes left or something along those lines. Uh, and all that Dallas could manage to do was three plays for no yards and punt it back to them and let them get the field goal. Like, there were several opportunities, not outside of just the general just score some fucking points and continue what you're doing up to that point, where Dallas could have just shut this game down, but they made mistakes in those spots. And questions have to be asked about some of the decision-making during that period as well like if you look at that if you look at that series following the fumble just in particular it was okay our run game has not been working very well let's 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 run for minus three yards okay um let's just do a short uh, run up the middle for three yards so now we're just at net zero yards and then an incomplete pass and we're punting like how is this showing any balls like there's 30 seconds left in the game you're ahead by a field goal like just do something um but yeah look this is a great win for jackson particularly in overtime very exciting kind of bit a bit, bit of a shock to everyone involved but um i put a lot of this on the dallas um on the dallas coaching sean yeah i mean it's I'm, I'm getting a little bit worried about the cowboys i was very up on them two weeks ago and they were they were on great form and possibly looking like the best team in the NFC, and now they've had two back-to-back really poor games. This game not quite as, as kind of consistently poor as the Houston game, but definitely at the end they they really, I mean they they beat themselves in many ways. They 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 have this vulnerability to bad mistakes that the Cowboys seem to have had as as a as a franchise for at least twenty years. And it's it's kind of becoming their identities that no matter how talented this team is and no matter how good they look, they're they're always just one mistake away from fucking everything up. That that they that they 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 have that mistake in them, and and teams should expect that from them here. I mean, they were. Dak was a bit uneven, but things were going fine. They they were basically in a position to win this game, especially at the end of regulation when they were that 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 field goal up, and they basically just needed to to make the Jags use up their, all their timeouts to run the clock down as much as possible, and and to rely then on their defense to hold it out. But then they go throw a stupid incomplete pass that gives the Jags back gives the Jags an extra timeout, gives them an extra 40 seconds on the clock, which is enough for them to kick the field goal. And then in overtime, Dak throws a, a, an interception that kills the game. Now, you could talk about these being unlikely things to happen, but you could also talk about them as being mistakes that, that were avoidable. This was a very avoidable defeat mm. for the Cowboys. And you've got to worry about, we get to the stage of the season, you start talking about killer mentality or championship mentality, and you wonder the Cowboys letting games like this slip proves that maybe they're not going to be the force that everyone thinks they are in the playoffs. They're also, I think, starting to hurt a little bit on the injuries defensively, especially. I think they're, they're starting to lose some big pieces, so you'd be worried about about there. It's, I mean, they're still a dangerous team, they're still a talented team, but I still think it's probably the same old Cowboys we've seen for the past few years, where they, they look really exciting in their best moments, but you just know the worst moment is, is just around the corner, and eventually they'll, they'll make some mistake in the divisional round, and they'll, they'll go out to a team they should have beaten. In yeah. terms of the Jags, I mean, it, it's a very exciting place to be. This team is, is slowly coalescing. Doug Patterson is doing a, a very good job coaching to bring the maximum out of this team. I mean, I think you were a little bit harsh at Trevor Lawrence. I think he is He's, at the moment, he's in quite good form, uh, and he actually shows what good hands-on coaching can do as opposed to the Urban Meyer fiasco. His last six games, the stats are kind of off the charts. He's 70% passing. 
he's 14 touchdowns to one interception. I mean, that, that's, I mean, that's MVP or close to MVP levels of, of play. The defense is, is maybe not as strong as it could be. They're more kind of focusing on being a turnover machine versus kind of a, a yard or play stopper type thing that they're more about trying the explosive plays to win. And in this game, it worked out. It can work. It doesn't always lead to great success in the playoffs. You more want a reliable team to do that. But you think about the Tampa Bay Bucks two years ago, their defense was all about, you know, explosive things that can turn the turn the game and, and they can turn playoff games. But the big news for the Jags is that suddenly the AFC South is wide open and they are in a very, very good chance of winning from a season that was petering out to nothingness as little as two weeks ago. Now they're in a very real chance of winning their division and making the playoffs. Uh, 538, the, the stats website has, has them, in terms of the analysis, has the Titans at 57% to win the division and the Jags at 43%, which is a very good place to be for a team that was, you know, a two-win team or something last year. So it's all looking good for the Jags. The real problem with them is consistency. They tend to have one good game and then they see, tend to suck the, the next week. The, the key is to get those back-to-back. But I start think it's starting to come together and they are they are one of those exciting teams along the lines and Jets, exciting young teams that, that I'm interested to see where they end up well this is the thing so we've got jets texans and then it's them versus the titans so the one game in it will come down to to, to that uh i, I think i think we're looking at a week 18 uh, yeah decider well the thing is like because similarly i think the titans have the texans and the cowboys and so like say cowboys are running the form and they get they get done that it's definitely a, a one and even if it's not i think the head-to-head means that the the, the weekend team can decide it anyway as well so it's going to be quite 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 an exciting lineup for them coming ahead and yeah look look i i'm, I'm not trying to badmouth trevor lawrence i think he's playing excellently and i think you're seeing huge improvements from him this year um but yeah it's it's a consistency thing it's that he does it in little streaks and then he'll just freeze up for a quarter as well um like not not like terribly not that he'll just throw a bunch of picks just it'll be very little for a while and then it'll be a whole lot of good and then it'll just be all right i'm just going back to sleep for a bit um <laughs> next up we have an the east game the giants take on the washington commanders in a repeat of the draw from two weeks ago and in a in a manner of speaking it's kind of shows the pointlessness of bye weeks as the team that had the bye week has lost. Um, the Jets 20, the Washington Commanders, uh, the Commies at 12. Uh, Justin Tribodeau has a touchdown, a fumble, sack, three tackles for a loss. Just pretty much a cracker of a game from him. Uh, he leads that New York defense, which had two fumbles, three sacks, and four tackles for a loss. For They, like, they allowed 11 points, so eight points less than the last game. And even then... Like, that was a low-scoring one. It was, what, 1-11 on third downs? That's absolutely madness. Um, so Jones went for 185, and Saquon had 121 on the touchdown on the ground. It was exciting. Heineke had 250 or thereabouts, a touchdown, but two fumbles, and was a bit sloppy. Um, now, Ronan, I'm going to come to you on this one. Um, how aggrieved should Washington fans be following what I think is... It's only one example of about five or six examples from this weekend of truly atrocious refereeing. Um, so for anyone who didn't watch the game in depth, at the towards the tail end of the game, there was two plays in particular, one in which um, Scary Terry McLaurin checked with the side judge twice about whether or not he was lined up correctly and then was flagged for being lined up incorrectly. And there's kind of fighting on either sides as to whether he was told and your man changed his decision or whether he didn't hear the guy say, oh, you need to take a step up or something along those lines. Um, but then the second one was on the final, was the final play of the game, I think. Um, just 
one, like, not even just pass interference, just physical assault when a ball is 20 feet away from someone. Like, it was ridiculous pass interference, and they just didn't call it. The guy had his arms wrapped around him before the ball was even out, um, and both of which would have gone in Washington's favour. But, um, yeah, like, what do you think, Fitz? Because we came into the saying, Washington should win this game, and on current form would be the more fun team to win this game. Yeah. Like, I think both of them, you could probably be fairly aggrieved. I think on the on the Scary Terry one, like, yes, I think it's a, it was a dick move by the referee. Basically, he, he knew, like, Scary Terry, like, Terry McLaurin knew what the rule was. He stepped up a little bit. The referee kind of, you know, said, uh, you know, like, Scary said, like, do I need to step up? And he said yes. And then he stepped up a bit, and the referee gave him a thumbs up. And then he threw the flag as soon as the play started, which is very much a dick thing to do. And, oh, yeah. like, they're... There could definitely be issues with that down the line, you know, because obviously, you know, with gambling and stuff involved in the NFL. But, like, this just seems like a thing where the referee, you know, there, there's a famous uh, game in the Six Nations in rugby a few, a few years ago where England were getting absolutely uh, bamboozled by Italy because they were basically cheating. Like, England were, there was a kind of weird rule where Italy were able to get to around the ruck at all the times, given some, they didn't contest the ruck. And the, the, the referee, Roman Poit, said, uh, you know, when they kept asking him what to do, he's like, "I'm the referee, not the coach." So yeah. you know, like it, it, you know, a lesson, a lesson earned is a lesson learned, probably well, for Terry well, McLaurin. Well, no, no, there. no, Fitz. To um, be fair, this is specifically what the job of the side ref is meant to be. You are to check in with them when you are the wide receiver to make sure you're lined up correctly. I can say to the sideline judge, "Am I on the line of scrimmage?" And he has to tell me whether I am or am not. So I can check with him to make sure because it's a big long thing and it can be hard to tell if you're on the exact right line. That is his job to do. The contention from the ref is that he actually told him he needed to take a further step forward and Terry didn't hear him. Okay. Well, you know, unfortunately they are mic'd. Well, the referees aren't generally mic'd no, up. No, so because they don't like to have to... transparency because they're all cheating <laughs> bastards. Yeah. Uh, and like the pass interference of Curtis Sammy, like look, like once again, they kind of called off the refereeing uh, as people who talk about the kind of stuff, but like it, it looked like pass interference to me. But obviously, we're not going back to having that review. But we had a year of that, and no one liked it. So you know, that's just the way things are going to be on those type of calls um, for the foreseeable future. But like, look, like I get that those are annoying. And if you're a Washington fan, and what was obviously a very close, grindy NFCs game between the kind of two lesser powers in that division, you know, every single you know play has some significance comparatively speaking. Um, but overall, this is a game that Washington lost. Um, more or less like they had key mistakes at key moments Heineke obviously giving up the ball twice uh, a few sloppy flags that they could definitely want to take back but you know I think you know, a lot of credit has to go to the Giants because the Giants, they got their asses smacked away by the the, the, the field of Eagles last week, they've kind of been on a major dance for the entire season but I think you know, coming into this game I think most people perceive this as kind of a win and in type of game. If you don't win this game, you're probably going to slide out of wild card contention and your season will basically be over. But, you know, what we finally saw was a reemergence of what we saw in the first half of the season from this Giants team, where suddenly this defense, which is obviously chocolate block with young stars, finally started making plays. And Kayvon Thibodeau, who said, you know, primetime likes me. Well, primetime liked him here, although he should probably take some credit himself. Like, you know, he got a touchdown after one fumble. He created one fumble himself. He had three tackles for a loss, and he had a key goal line stop of Heineke on, a, on the kind of, you know, fun scrambles that Heineke's been capable of doing this year. And this Giants defense just clamped down on them again and again and again and stopped them on those key downs. He said 111 on third down. That's the kind of stuff that really, you know, stands out um, when you look back at the tape when you watch the game. They just seem to have the number of this Washington team, which is very much a team which is you know 
some explosive, no consistency, but some explosive <laughs> plays. The yeah. Giants really took that away and made them, you know, do it the hard way, and they just weren't able to do that with the run game or with their pass game. And Heineke, look, we saw a whole year of Heineke last year. We know what he is. He's not the future of that franchise. Um, but against a defense that was up for it, it was more than enough. And you know, let's not take it away. Like you know. Daniel Jones was this a great performance? No, but once again, avoided mistakes. Saquon was over 100 yards, and when the chips were down and the game was on the line um, at the end of the first half, and they kind of got the lead that they basically needed to hold on to in the second half, of this, uh, like in the, towards the end of this game, you know, they got a key fourth and nine conversion. So, you know, I, it was just good to see because the Giants for the last like month or two have basically been very depressing to watch, and just seeing them get a little spark of what made us kind of like them initially this season mm. was good to see. And against the Washington team, which, you know, like, you know, they're never going to do much really. Uh, and obviously their owner sucks, so we don't really have, have to be happy. It was it was a decent win. Uh, but, you know, I, to be honest, if, if either the, both these teams missed the playoffs, I wouldn't be particularly unhappy. Yeah, yeah. Would not be maybe the worst outcome if that was to happen. Uh, next up, two teams that we'd both love to make the playoffs, but unfortunately there can only probably be one. Uh, Detroit at the New York Jets, 20-17. Uh, to 17. Brock Wright gets the 51-yard go-ahead touchdown uh, to kind of cap off the, the comeback and the defense holds as New York Jets and Wilson kind of struggle a little bit. Um, Wilson had a very up and down game. He had 317 yards, two touchdowns, and interception. It was interesting. You can see that he has been humbled a little bit by the benching. Um, you can see that he was following instructions a little bit more, I think, as well. Um, but also that like he does just have that inconsistency in his passing game of he was taking a couple of shots, and you could see that like there was there were certain shots that Mike White would make if he was in this game, and 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 Wilson was not making, which was a problem. Um, this game kind of played out how we said in the preview we expected it to play, of like, we saw the Jets' defense play really good and keep them in this game. Like, this is a Detroit offense that has been scoring lots and they held them to 20 and they actually had to held to 13 until there was, what, one minute and something left in the game. Uh, maybe one and a half minutes left in the game. So, like, they, they did what they could with it. Um, the Detroit Lions' defense actually played up a lot more than uh, than I was expecting. They have been a little bit more consistent the last little while. Um, but yeah, they got four sacks, seven tackles for a loss. Like they they hassled Wilson. They made sure that he wasn't able to kind of set himself. Uh, it wasn't quite a, a seeing ghost Sam Darnold kind of setup, but you could see that they were keeping him a little bit off his center. Um, I don't think I I don't think that Wilson has done enough in this to try and argue his way back onto being the starter i think there's a strong chance that he will play a second week due to i think mike white literally has broken ribs so it'll probably be another week before he's back out there but um from the detroit side it was good i suppose to see like you know goff had and not as good as a standard day but still 250 yards two touchdowns their run game was held mostly in jack but like this is this is an elite defense they're playing against. As much as it's the Jets and they're kind of pushing for playoff relevancy, this defense is an elite playoff level defense. And it's great to see Detroit being able to put up 20 points on it. And it's great from the Jets side to be like, okay, look, we are at the point where we can take Detroit is what the, the second highest scoring offense this season or something along those lines. Maybe it's even the highest scoring offense. 
And the Jets can look at this as a building block and say, okay, our defense is so good that we can hold them to 13 points until there's a minute left, 20 points at the end. All we need to do as a, as a team to progress is to get someone in here that can score 21 points. Uh, I don't think that answer is Wilson. Um, I'm not even sure if it's Mike White, but I think if Mike White was in this game, there's a strong chance that the Jets win. Yeah, I mean, I, I think both teams can take positives out of this game. I mean, certainly the Lions win, maybe not as... I mean, I kind of expected them to be a little bit better, but they this was a tough game against a tough opponent, and they found a way to win, which is not something that we can say about the Detroit Lions an awful lot. For the Jets, it's there's an improvement happening. The problem the Jets have at the moment is that the season is creeping towards its end. They're 7-7, seven and seven, they couple of uh, tough games left and the AFC wildcard race is is an absolute nightmare so you have to worry if it's maybe for if it's maybe kind of gotten away from them this year and but it's a young team it's a work in progress things are going forward I mean in terms of the Jets the, the biggest problem seems to and I agree with you the defense is really strong really elite they were doing some very nice things in terms of pressuring Goff which is exactly what you need to do to Jared Goff they, they were causing all kinds of problems they, they restricted what is a very good uh, offense to, to just 20 points, but they needed more on the other side of, of the ball. And the problem is with the, the sense of momentum that is gone, you kind of feel as if the, the old Jets are creeping back a little bit in. There's a couple of bit, a few more mistakes than there were a few weeks ago. People aren't quite as certain as what they're doing. They don't have that self-belief that this team had four or five weeks ago, which kind of feels that maybe this season is 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 running away from them um, a little bit. The, the Zach Wilson thing was, I, I thought he was mostly okay, probably better than I've seen him a few uh, in his previous few, few starts the the jet the the lions went out of their way to stifle the jets run game the jets basically didn't have a run game in order to force Zach wilson into the game and then when they had him in the game they tried to force him into making those stupid throws that he's gotten uh, responsible for and he was better than that he didn't he didn't throw too many away his interception was a terrible throw but otherwise he didn't do too badly he got a lot of yards but there wasn't an awful lot of action and i agree with you that consistency is his problem and he's, he's not really the answer but the Jets I think found out in this game what they're missing they know they have the, the, the solution on the defense but they know that the offense just isn't there yet and it, it all comes back to the quarterback so it's it's you know it's it's as they were for the Jets in, in terms of their progress and I think they'll probably miss out on the playoffs as things go for the Lions I mean seven and seven they've got a, a the Panthers next they've got a real momentum I can definitely see them getting 10 wins I can definitely see them getting nine and that being enough they're in a very strong Strong position, and they're going to be a much better wildcard team to have than the Commanders or the Giants or, or even uh, the Seahawks. The offense is playing at a high level, albeit they didn't do fantastically in this game. But with the pieces like Williams and Swift and Amon Ra, that they, they really have it all going. But what's really impressed me over the Lions in the last few weeks is the defense. They kind of stripped the sense I've got is they stripped the defense back to basics like three or four weeks ago, and has since have been building up into more and more sophisticated stuff. They've moved some personnel around. I've talked about Aiden Hutchinson being moved to the other side um, of the line and how that's worked out. It, it just seems that the, the, the Lions have found their answers on the defensive side, which they were seriously lacking earlier in the season. It's all coming together. And if they can keep this up, a, a defense that is playing at a, a, at a high level plus an offense that is capable of, you know, going toe-to-toe with any of the best in the world, the Lions will cause some damage in the playoffs, especially, for example, if they end up in the seventh seed and they get the Vikings. I, I just, I want to see that playoff game because <laughs> I want to see, I want to see Kirk Cousin get ground into dust. But yeah, the Lions are very exciting. And of all the up-and-coming young teams, the Lions definitely seem like the one ready to make the biggest splash in the playoffs yeah uh next up we look at tennessee at the chargers 14 to 17 justin herbert has 
somewhat of a mixed day. 313 yards and two interceptions. He leads a 44-second field goal drive, including 35-yard throw to Williams. Um, yeah, it was mixed from that. They had seven punts alongside interceptions. The Tennessee defense was okay, but like basically this felt like two teams that are constantly in the playoff picture and neither of them deserve to be there and both of them are just flailing at each other with individual pockets of excellence but overall not good teams. There was a beautiful like volleyballed back into uh back into the field of play interception tag team by the Tennessee defense in this. Uh there was, you know, clutch drive to get the field goal in place here. But like this this game had people like Greg Rosendahl tweeting out that, you know, this is this is a truther game to show that even in a bad game Herbert is just off the charts. I mean, he wasn't. He was just blank for sections of this game. He was good in periods, but there was no consistency to the to, to the plan. Like it it's it's weird. Tennessee's defense looks a little bit better, but Tennessee also lost their starting quarterback in this game. Had to go to Malik Willis for the back end of it. Like this is a game that was tied with a minute left to go in it and like the Titans look awful. I'm just I so hoping that they don't win the AFC South. The Chargers don't look in any way exciting. I I don't really understand even what they're game planning doing on like the run game either because like they were getting some performance out of that and then they'd go away from it. Like it just none of it screamed sense to me at all. Like even target Keenan Allen more because every time they went it. Mike Williams, he was dropping every second pass. Like it was, it was just confusing. And I, I know I harp on this every single time, but I watch it and I go, you know what? Herbert is a good, he's a he's a good player. Could be a great player. I don't think he was that in this game with his you know near fifty percent completion or ever. But I just think, just give him a coach. Just give him an actual coach who knows what the fuck he's doing. And there's a good chance that he could be a top end player because. This is a crumbling Tennessee Titans team that basically the entire offense was just 100 yards from Derrick Henry, <coughs> excuse me, who lost their starting quarterback and you were still tied at, at two touchdowns apiece with a minute left to go and you had to do a clutch field goal drive to, to win against a team that shouldn't be in the playoffs and has lost its starting quarterback. Like, come on, guys, that's not competitive that's not something to go screaming home about no i think the chargers right now are one of the most disappointing teams in the nfl despite being in a really good position to get into the playoffs as a wild card team but they have justin herbert who you know is currently being treated by their their offensive coordinator as if he was fucking drew Brees. like it's just like (laughs) it's all short stuff underneath it's all very boring and you know thank god they got mike williams back because at least you know he's willing to allow him to throw deep to mike williams occasionally including obviously the kind of rope play that he had to set up the field goal here for the 35 yarder like those are the type of plays that we saw from justin herbert over the last couple of years we're going god damn it this kid's amazing let's see more of him like even you know even people who aren't fans of the chargers like yourself connor like there's 
no doubt that you know when he was in a fun system like they had under Anthony Lynn, it was fun to watch the Chargers with Justin Herbert just slinging around and just doing things. And right now, it just feels like he's been put into a box that makes absolutely no sense for him. And it just like Brandon Staley needs to pull the finger out and get a guy at offensive coordinator if he's there next year who actually can play into the strengths of Justin Herbert and stop pretending that he's Drew fucking Brees. He's not Drew Brees. He's got a rocket for arm. He's incredibly mobile. Why are you treating him this way? It doesn't make any goddamn sense. At the very least for the Chargers, at least their defense has somewhat shown up in recent weeks after being absolutely awful for the first half of the season. It finally feels that Brandon Staley has started making some adjustments to his scheme, um, which has really just been I've taught pretty much everywhere it's been brought to in the last couple of years from the Fangio tree, and he's finally getting some decent performances. So that's a positive, and if they can have a solid defense and with a Justin Herbert at the offense, they definitely have a shot. But yeah, it just still, you know, it, it's felt off all se- all season, really, the last two years with them, and you just think there's so much more they can do, and it's just it's just so fucking Chargers, right? Like it's just classic Chargers wasting uh, a generational talent potentially here. Um, we won't know until they get some good coaching there as for Tennessee look I think Tennessee they're really you know if they make the playoffs they'll have really ground their way to the playoffs here obviously you mentioned oh, that wouldn't be like them at all like <laughs> Yeah, well, like, look, this time they're really crawling to the to the playoffs if they make it. And I think, yeah, Jacksonville, a team which is ascending, which obviously has a much brighter future ahead of. I think we want to see them in the playoffs to see what they can do. But look, Tannehill was injured in this game, so obviously that's a major thing that makes it difficult for them. Derrick Henry has been leaned on to an extreme degree. He was both the leading rusher and the leading receiver for this team in this game. That's not sustainable. No. Um, uh, is it? Uh, and look, look, Malik Willis had a cameo and at least looked better than his first cameo against uh, Houston, where he basically did literally nothing uh, so maybe they have something there but overall it just seems like a team that on the offensive side certainly doesn't have any playmakers like Traylon Burks is injured right now um, Robert Woods you know he's fine but he's not the player he was in, in the Rams I don't know if that's because of scheme or just so few other weapons around him and the only really positive that they got out of the offense this year is uh, Okwanko who's been a solid addition at the tight end position um, <laughs> if you take the rhyme uh, but like look the, I think the reason Tennessee still have a chance is because the defense is getting pieces back they're slowly getting healthy and they're slowly morphing back into what we'd expect from a Mike Vrabel defense which is solid play Stops big plays, good at stopping uh, other teams in the red zone. And they were able to do that here. I think, you know, shout out to that, uh, you know, as you said, volleyball pick drill, uh, sorry, tip drill uh, interception they had at the end of the second half. That was just really fun to see. And the kind of things that tells you that this defense is really well coached, but they've just been absolutely hammered by injuries in the back half of the season. And it's really just reduced their capacity to stop high scoring games, which they're just in no way capable of winning. Um, so look, for both these teams, Look, you know, for the Titans, they're fighting everything. Um, and I think, you know, this kind of feels like a project which maybe could be turned over and we'll see something maybe more exciting next year. Uh, for the charge, it just feels they need to get out of their own fucking way and just do something. And I think if Staley isn't capable of doing that, then, you know, he may not be in the job much longer, even if they do make the playoffs, to be perfectly frank. Yeah. And as always, we say all games are important. Some are just, you know, less important and we don't want to talk about them. But Fitz does. So that's why we put them into the dump off. <laughs> Yeah, well, this week's dump-off is actually pretty exciting. We had a tough uh, job winnowing down the game, so we'll start with a few games that had some excitement to them, starting with Cincinnati at Tampa Bay, obviously a very relevant game for the playoff hunt. At 34-23, seems like a pretty easy win for Cincinnati. Not so fast, this is as uh, soccer fans are well aware, a game of two halves, as they say, um, where it was 70-3 going into the half, and Cincinnati needed a late field goal to make that, that three points in the first place. 
and it looked like for all the world that Tampa Bay were finally putting together a championship championship level performance that they've been missing this year. Uh, but in the second half, Joe Burrow went absolutely bananas on them. 200 yards, four touchdowns, interception. I don't, I don't know if that even does justice to him. Uh, but to be fair, he was being assisted massively by Tampa Bay just imploding in all the different ways you can think of. They had a fumble on a fake punt where the guy literally had no idea the ball was coming out of it. Just hit him off his, his face mask and just fell there and Cincinnati recovered. Don't know what the hell went on there. I think you know, the special team coordinator's face flashed up for like, it felt like five minutes after that play. He probably did not have a good day uh, that Sunday evening. Uh, two interceptions, two fumbles, and you know, three of those turnovers came from Tom Brady himself. So really, touchdown Tom uh, has become a turnover Tom, and that's not a great formula for success for a Tampa Bay team, which somehow is still in control of the NFC side uh, because they have one game advantage over the rest of their division, but uh, overall just look like an absolute complete mess. Uh, Brady, like after that first half performance, disappeared. Like Tampa Bay just need to put together a whole game, but they're at least good because right now they're capable of doing fourth quarter comebacks or they're capable of having one half of good, but they're just completely inconsistent. Whereas Cincinnati looked like a team that after last year making all the Super Bowl have learned lessons from that and become a much more consistent championship team who continues to believe in them. And the Cincinnati defensive adjustments have to take some credit for really getting under the skin of Brady and making a big difference there. Uh, though, you know, as I said, Tampa Bay's defense didn't shower themselves with glory since they had a big play on fourth down for a sack that was a turnover by a, for, by a uh, flag. So overall, just a disastrous day for Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, just stop kicking yourself, please. Um, uh, I, I don't even know if I want them to lose the NFC side because the rest of them are bad. It's just as bad as I'll talk about in a moment. Uh, next up, New England at Las Vegas, 24-30. Even thinking about this game makes me feel like I'm losing brain cells. Like, I like the, the Indianapolis-Minnesota game was dumb, but this game was even dumber somehow like the ending of this game was genuinely inexplicable um where for some reason Ramondre Stevenson who was just taking a draw play uh, so that they could take it to overtime decided you know what I'm gonna do I'm just gonna shovel pass it back to Jacoby Myers and Jacoby Myers is like what what's happening I, I have no idea and Jacoby Myers is like okay I'll lateral the ball um I'll lateral the ball over to my quarterback right my quarterback is gonna be great when he's 10 yards behind the the play and can't throw the ball anymore uh, but instead of throwing it to his quarterback he threw it to former New England Patriot Chandler Jones who caught the ball it was like the ball went straight to him and the only person between Chandler Jones and the, the end zone was Mac Jones and he trucked the fuck out of Mac Jones <laughs> he just looked they like went down like a bag of potatoes and this was a buzzer beater touchdown if they had just literally tackled Chandler Jones it would have went to overtime anyway just one of the most ridiculous endings in NFL history, um, right up there with the Miami miracle that New England were the victim of a few years ago. Actually worse because New England just, like, it wasn't planned apparently, it was just a dumb decision by Stevenson and Myers at the time. Uh, Belichick's, you know, you know, reputation as a coach probably in tatters maybe from that one play alone. Uh, but probably the blame can be led on, you know, the offensive coordinator uh, brain trust, uh, whoever the fuck that is, uh, between the... Uh, the, the, the former special teamer and the former defensive coordinator who would have loved for pencil behind his ear uh, bullshit. But anyway, uh, like this was only set up because Vegas themselves had collapsed earlier in this game. They were 73 up at the half. They seemed to have a solid thing going with Jacobs and they were spreading the ball around, but they just stopped playing in the second half. Uh, Carr just went MIA until they had to get themselves a touchdown to make this a score game after going down by a touchdown uh, late in this game. And the touchdown itself from Keelan Cole could easily have been turned off. I don't know if that was a touchdown or not. Uh, based on the replay, like I, I think, I think it might have been in. Like the, it literally came down to is the chalk smudged or not uh, type of arguments. Uh, so you know they, they gave the touchdown in to set up this ridiculousness. Uh, the only good thing for New England is that except for his stupid mistake at the end was that Stevenson came back from injury, had 172 yards and a touchdown. But you know just. 
both these teams are really, really dumb. And while I expect that from Vegas, I expect better from the England Patriots. And uh, Vegas, if you can just throw, like, I don't care if Devon Adams double cover, just fucking throw the ball uh, so you have something behind side Josh Jacobs. Uh, next up, Kansas City-Houston. Another quite dumb game, to be perfectly frank. 30-24 win for Kansas City in overtime in the end. You know, Houston, they've now had two good performances in a row against contenders. Uh, Kansas City needed a Houston fumble and the McKinnon 26-yard touchdown to ice this game. And McKinnon's turning into quite a nice weapon for Kansas City, by the way, in the run game. 122 yards of touchdown here. Mahomes was fine, actually. He didn't really make any mistakes here. He had 306 yards and two touchdowns. Maybe could be a bit better when the you know chips were down. But, you know, it was two fumbles from who was uh, compatriots and Pacheco and Juju that set up two of the Houston touchdowns. So, you know, this is a game where Houston got a few bit of rubber the green and Mills was able to take advantage of it and he was used a bit more this week in the 2QB system than last week uh, but overall like Kansas City they were sloppy obviously two fumbles um, they had over 100 yards and flags they didn't really take their opportunities yeah. to some extent yeah Carl Chaffers you fucking prick <laughs> and you know like every some of those were phantom time, every time yeah. every what can you argue about the legitimacy of some of the flags but overall Kansas City you know Houston I don't know if this is like, going to be a thing to address the season where they just play well or it's just that you know, for big teams inside, okay, let's try and get some pride back. But, you know, wasn't enough here. Kansas City get the win, they move on. Uh, everything's good as they have the AFC West now. Uh, Philly at Chicago, 25-20. to 20. Um, Philly made to work surprisingly hard this week as, you know, they had the, they were kind of really struggling in the first half. Two interceptions from Hurts, but to be fair, he came back in the second half, really put his body on the line. He got three touchdowns, albeit most of those were just kind of, you know, one-yard rushes on the, on the goal line. Um, but he obviously picked up the injury here, so that gives you an indication of how much he was having to kind of take risks that he usually wouldn't have to, have to take them. And they were missing field goals as well, which didn't help. And just the Chicago defense, which has been kind of terrible, really, for, for multiple weeks, finally did something here. And, you know, unfortunately, in the end, the, the quality difference did matter. And A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith ended up overing over 100 yards each. Brown nearer to 200 yards, to be honest. So, you know, fair play to Chicago, but didn't quite have enough. As for Justin Fields, like, you know, he pretty much has to carry this entire offense by himself. 150 yards and two touchdowns in the past game, but 92 yards rushing, you know, including one rush that nearly was a touchdown, but it was just ridiculous. Justin Fields magic bullshit they've been doing all year um you know he's going for that uh, i believe rushing record for a quarterback he certainly looks like he can do it and against the fearsome philly d which had six sacks dying tackle for a loss you know fair play to him for at least going out there and trying um but if he can get some hurts level support next year or in the next couple of years he could truly be a frightening prospect going forward next up baltimore cleveland the other saturday game three to 13 uh baltimore just absolutely kicked themselves in the nuts repeatedly in this game they had two red zone turnovers they had two field goal misses Seven of their nine drives ended in a turnover of some type. Uh, field goal miss, fumble, interception, uh, or just on down. Just dumb stuff where Baltimore are going to hate themselves because they were running the ball really well. 125 yards from Dobbins. Gus Bus was making some decent runs as well. But Huntley, you know, he's fine, but they just weren't able to make conversions. Like the fact that they they got into the, in, into a goal line situation on the first drive and ended up finishing on downs, that just ended up being the closest they got to a touchdown after that. Just really disappointing if you're a Baltimore fan. As for Cleveland, like they weren't amazing, but the ground had a win here. Watson's getting better every week, slightly. 183 yards in touchdowns. It wasn't amazing, but he's at least starting to kind of approximate what you have, especially when he gets outside the pocket on, you know, uh, Read, read, read option kind of plays and stuff like that and Chubb there had nearly 100 yards so it's good to see him back on track uh, but like Cleveland like they're not really playing relevant for Baltimore this really hurts their chances of winning the AFC North next up San Francisco at Seattle San Francisco lock up the NFC West with a pretty comprehensive win uh, CMC and Kittle um, really were the stars here for, for San Francisco 138 for CMC and a touchdown 93 yards and two touchdowns for Kittle most of it's coming on the two uh, long touchdown uh, runs that he had Basically, the, cha the, the, the things that changed this game were around uh, both halves, 
halves of the of the half time. Uh, before the half, um, Seattle were keeping this close, I think seven to three, and then Homer has a fumble uh, that they take all the way down to the goal line and they convert that into a touchdown. And then after the half time, Kittle has a 55 yard rumbling touchdown where the defense just looked completely lost and that killed this game. Like Seattle managed to keep it close somewhat. As Brock Purdy was fine, 217 touchdown. Uh, uh, but he wasn't really being asked to do too much towards the end. San Francisco were just like, we don't think they can actually get it done. Uh, but Gino, 238 targets and a touchdown just really wasn't there. And, you know, to be honest, he was lucky not to have another pick six in this game um, after a, a, a pretty dodgy roughing the call. A roughing call got him out of that. But, uh, you know, San Francisco were the better team. They deserved to win here. Uh, Seattle really just fighting to see if they can stay in a wildcard hunt. Next up, Rams at Green Bay, 12-24. Are Green Bay slightly playoff relevant? I don't think so, but you know, given the rest of the playoff wildcard teams, I wouldn't count them out completely. But pretty easy win for them here. You know, the run game got going. Jones had 120 yards and touchdown. Dylan punched in two touchdowns himself, and they just kind of rumbled over what is just the utterly depleted Rams defense at this point. Rogers 229, two touchdowns interception. This is a run-first team at this point because Rogers still ain't got it to be honest. Um, Baker Mayfield's magic ran out already. 111 yards touchdown. An interception he just didn't have any deep plays no timing plays it's just like roll out throw it to Tutu Atwell for like one yard and see if he can do something nothing really sustainable there though Akers had over 100 nearly 100, oh had exactly 100 yards here all, all purpose um so at least they're getting a run game going well but you know, this is a team that's just shutting down everyone they had 3.6 yards per play just nothing happening against this Green Bay defense um so moving on to next season for the Rams though but Matt Stafford isn't retiring so at least that's something based on his podcast he did with his wife so, hey, take that for some whatever it's worth. Next up, Atlanta at New Orleans, 18-21. The NFC side chaos must continue forever to ensure that all teams except for Tampa Bay are on five wins, and Tampa Bay are only on six wins. Uh, Ritter, on his debut as a rookie here against New Orleans, was absolutely terrible. 97 yards passing, 38 yards rushing, just inaccurate, didn't quite read the play. And even when he did read the play, he just didn't seem to have the arm to get the plays done and kind of wasted a good game for Elegier, who had 100 39 to the arts and touchdown and you know the only positive for him is that he's willing to throw to Drake London which is something Mariota wouldn't do so hey whatever you can get I suppose as for New Orleans look their defense did a lot of the work here but you know the you know Dalton had two touchdowns but really they were still relying on Alvin Kamara being okay he better in this game thankfully over 100 yards and but mostly it's Taysom Hill magic bullshit um, he had a long pass to Shahid for a touchdown he had 30 yards rushing himself uh, but it just shows that this offense doesn't make sense as an actual you know legitimate offense and David Johnson, do not play him anymore. He is not a solution to any question. Uh, next up, Pittsburgh and Carolina, 24-16. Pittsburgh basically just bullied Carolina, uh, similar to how Carolina bullied Seattle the week before. Topped up by a ridiculous 21-play, 91-yard, 11-minute, 43-second touchdown drive to open up the second half. Kind of the, the kind of play that Pittsburgh fans, you know, dream about uh, You know, every night, I assume. Um, you know, Harris... Uh, kind of living up to his, uh, you know, now dearly inspired namesake, uh, you know, who was a solid, just running the ball down their throat all the time, 24 for 86 and a touchdown, and Mitch was just kept mistake-free. Just, you know, you Mitch, you just stay over there, don't lose the game. And I think that's interesting because on the other hand, you know, Caroline have won a couple of games by putting Darnold in that position, by not putting the game on its hard, but Pittsburgh's defense basically shut down Caroline's run game. They had 14 rushes for 19 yards, and surprisingly Carolina were not using their kind of heavy sets much so I don't know what was the you know reasoning there from the head coach but anyway Darnold was the 
person who the offense's hand was in, and he had 225 yards of touchdown, but ultimately just utterly struggled for consistency. Kind of looked like, say, someone like Zach Wilson, who he, who he was replaced by. Just no consistency, no ability to move the chains, and in the end, it ended up being a big problem because the run game just wasn't there. But the Pittsburgh D gets a big win, and Pittsburgh's chance of staying above 500 are alive for another week. And finally, we end with the most irrelevant and most dumpy off of type of games. Arizona at Denver, 15-24, two dead teams, uh, completely dead. Solid second half by Denver. They had 21 points, which for them is amazing, to be frank. Um, gives them a rare win as Rip in had nearly 200 yards uh, touchdown, but also two turnovers, and that interception was in the red zone, so, you know, it's still not great. But, uh, look, you know, he complimented Latavius Murray at under 30 yards and a touchdown, so they got something going there. And his Arizona defense, I'd say J.J. Watt padding his stats, who, you know, to be fair, had a fumble and three sacks and three tackles for losses, really not doing much. You know, but a Baker, J.J. Watt, fair play, rest of the defense, bleh. Uh, as for Arizona's offense, it didn't exist. Obviously, no Kyler Murray. McCoy goes out early. They have Trace McSurley going there. He would throw two interceptions. So, McCoy, to be fair, had an interception before that as well. This Denver defense, you know, this is child play to them. They allowed less than 250 yards. It was really, really trivial for them. Uh, Arizona, obviously, a team in need of major change. Denver, despite this win, probably could do with some change too. Uh, so, that's the dump off for week 15. Talk to you next week. <laughs> So first up, we have Thursday Night Football. Uh, this is Sean's pick of the week. Another heartbreaker of just teams we like meeting each other at awkward times. Jacksonville at the Jets. We've gone for Jacksonville across the board, Sean. Yeah, so obviously, as I've been talking about these teams for a few weeks now, two exciting up-and-coming teams. The Jets were probably the team of about a month ago, and the Jacks, the Jags seemed like the team of now. Playoff relevant um, for both of them. The Jets 7-7. Seven and seven need to cling on the the Jags are six and eight. They're probably not going to get the wild card spot, but they, they want to keep pace with the Titans. Um, the big question here is is which unit turns up and which plays well. We we know that the, the probably the strongest unit of, of all four uh, is the Jets defense. We've been talking about how elite they are. The big question on the Jag side is how does this Lawrence led offense deal with them and it, it could be interesting to see it could be a, a good test for Trevor Lawrence in terms of this development that I've been talking about the the, the the last six weeks and how good he's been to be up against a real elite defense and how how he he worked he did pretty okay against the Cowboys defense last week so so I have faith in him in terms of that on the other side obviously the problems with the the um, the, the Jacksonville defense is it's not the world's best, but it does get turnovers, and, and that could be a problem for Zach Wilson because he does tend to be quite a turnover machine. He's humbling a little bit. He was he was a little bit more down to earth, a little bit more willing to take orders in the last game, but there's got to be you know a lot a lot of expecting on him not to do stupid things and not to throw stupid balls away that the Jags will get. So ultimately, we've all gone for Jacksonville across the board, maybe because we think that these teams are in different different places right now. We, we've talked about the Jets, their momentum being gone, and they're starting to, to lose that self-belief. And, and they've had, a you know, three or four bad weeks now, and it's not looking like it's turning around anytime soon, whereas the Jags seem like they're on the up. The big problem with the Jags is consistency. They don't, don't tend to win too many games in a row. Um, so I would just as likely see this go the other way. And indeed, at the beginning, I did have the Jets ahead of it. But, but I think on form, we have to get, go for Jacksonville yeah. to, to keep their run going and keep the pressure on the Titans. To be honest, I think yeah. this is a different question if it's not Wilson under center for them, but he is. And that kind of 
you know, <laughs> that makes it a bit of an easier decision for me. I imagine both defenses are going to have somewhat of a of, of an exciting day, but Jacksonville's offense edging it at the end. Next up, onto the Christmas Eve early slate. Uh, I hope you've, you know, done all the talking with your families because <laughs> there'll be a lot of football to be watching. Um, Atlanta Scott Bucks. Hansen is my family. <laughs> Uh, first up, Atlanta at Baltimore. Um, so I'm behind in the picks uh, game, so I've decided to go contrarian on a few of these that I think are close. So I've gone for Atlanta. The two of you guys have gone for Baltimore. Glamire is meant to be back, question marks over basically how healthy he will be. This is a... As we mentioned very earlier. much near right now. We, we have no idea. It's kind yeah. of 50-50. Um, Baltimore have been, you know battered by injuries and have not really been playing up to their level versus a kind of overall confusing and fairly mid-table Atlanta team who occasionally have bursts of exciting things happen and obviously there's the wild card of um, the young quarterback who's in there, uh, Ritter, and basically whether or not he can provide a bit of a spark. Um, I could see this going either way to be honest um, but yeah, I think Atlanta maybe just about get around the corner particularly if Lamar's not in. Yeah, I think this is a game where both teams would be desperate to get their run games going and have had some success last week in getting their respective run games going after, you know, Atlanta's been fairly solid all season, but uh, Baltimore's has been much more flaky. I think, you know, J.K. Dobbins has come back and he's brought a real spark to that offense and he's, he's, he's running really well and Gus Bus is in there as well and he's obviously the solid complement he's always been. So if Baltimore have their run game going, then I give them enough to at least be in there. Like, like the loss to Cleveland was truly inexplicable. They just kept hitting themselves right in the face. And against an Atlanta team, which is capable of doing that, then you know it's kind of hard to see who, who will win this game. But I think we're giving Baltimore the edge just because they're obviously a more well-coached team. Uh, they're a more talented team. They have more class, for lack of a better term. Uh, but Atlanta <laughs> could easily run it down their throat, uh, make this a close, sloppy game, and then you never know what's going to happen. And the other real problem for Atlanta is that Desmond Ritter came in last week and looked absolutely terrible against, to be fair, what's a solid New Orleans defense now that they're finally healthy again. And in this Baltimore defense, has really been uh, not the problem really for Baltimore, and it's really a good defense over the last you know month or two. I am, um, so like, I, I know, don't really have that much faith in Ritter. Missing two, missing lineman three. Like, they're missing a few pieces now that might... I don't see... Like, based on what I saw from Ritter, it, just, it was bad enough that I, I don't don't really have faith that they can have consistent go forward ball unless the run game truly just takes over completely. Yeah, it's just it's a talent differential for me. I mean, the Ravens are they're liable to lose games like this and their season is beginning to crumble a little bit and if they do lose to the Falcons, I think we can pretty much write them off there. They're probably on a downward streak that will get them out of the the wild card race. But I mean, when you're looking at the Falcons relying on Desmond Ritter and, and a run run it down your throat approach the Ravens have to be more sophisticated than that. They have to be better than that. And even with Lamar back or not back, I just you have to believe the Ravens are going to start winning games at some point. And this is the kind of get right game. The the Falcons just don't have the the kind of the wild card excitement, that kind of X factor that, that will shake the Ravens up. Um, so I think the Ravens will. It'll be a gruesome game, but I think the Ravens will hold on. Yeah, I think the thing is, I just I don't see the Ravens as actually being that good at the moment. Um, but yeah, next up, Houston at Tennessee. Sean, tell us about this Battle of the Titans. Yeah, so obviously, <laughs> well, only one of these teams is Titans. The other team are normal human Texans. But remember, um, things are bigger in Texas, apparently. So, <laughs> so yeah, one of these grim AFC South games that uh, nobody really wants to watch, that the Titans are boring, but with grinding it out, they have a a game lead in their division that they kind of they need this win to hold them again they'll probably go around Henry especially with uh, Willis in for Tannehill who honestly hasn't looked all that impressive 
but I mean, they have more talent. They do have better coaching. The Texans are a bit spicy of late. They've, they've looked pretty good the last two weeks, but there's just, yeah, I, I just don't, I just don't rate the Texans beyond being a, a, an occasionally exciting team that will catch napping teams um, and give them a bit of a fight. I think that the Titans will be locked in because they have to win. They, they know their margin of error is gone, and I think they'll just give it to Henry like 400 times, and that will be enough to, to, to beat the Texans. If, if Henry is a king, then the Texans are his vassal state. Uh. <laughs> so, yeah, if, if King Henry has less than 200 yards, I give Houston a chance, but that has not happened for a while, so I'll probably give it to Tennessee. Yeah, no, that seems... That seems fair, although this is a Tennessee team that has been caught sleeping and a Houston team that has done some surprising bits. So there's always a chance, but yeah, I just, I'm, to be honest, we won't know until next week because none of us will watch that game. Um, Detroit at Carolina, we have gone Detroit across the board, lads. Um, look, this Carolina defense is looking a little bit better. The Detroit defense is looking a good bit better. Um, the Detroit offense has been good all season. The Carolina offense is Sam Darnold? Yeah, like I think the big thing is that you saw a template for how to beat this Carolina team last week, and that's to stop the run. Detroit's defense, while the overall statistics aren't great against the run, has really stiffened up in the last month or so. It's been noted by a number of commentators that the run defense has really you know, been a positive instead of a negative, and Sean's talked about the overall improvement of the defense generally, especially along the defensive line. So I think if they can stuff up the Dante Foreman, Chubba Hubbard, uh, show and force the ball into Darnold's hand and tell him to beat him deep, eat him one-on-one coverage, then I think this Detroit defense has shown enough that they can keep the score fairly low. And while the Carolina defense is pretty solid, and there's definitely a lot of young players there who um, make this a, an improving unit for years to come, um, right now they're, they're sometimes up and down. Um, and I think this Detroit offense, which has so many different ways of beating you, they can run the ball well, they can pass, pass the ball well, and Jared Goff's having a pretty solid end of the season. Um, it's hard to see beyond Detroit. And let's be honest, we all want Detroit to win so it doesn't even matter. Like Caroline could be paying way better. We still all pick Detroit. Go Detroit. Yeah. I mean, the, the Lions are in such a good run. I mean, they've done the hard bits. They've beaten the Vikings. They've beaten the Jets. Please don't lose the goddamn Carolina Panthers. I mean, this is a gimme. For a team of the Lions' talent level and form, this, this is a gimme. And if they throw this away, then they don't deserve to be in the playoffs, quite frankly. Yeah. Next up, Seattle at Kansas City. We've gone for Kansas City across the board. KC have looked a little bit eye off the ball for the last couple of weeks, we'll say. Uh, and this is a Seattle team that was strong earlier on, but has kind of gotten a bit banged up and is maybe not looking at 100%. So obviously questions are going to be who's going to step up for Seattle, given the couple of injuries that are there. What's this Kansas City at home thing going to look like? There's a bit of a push of, obviously McKinnon's done well the last couple of weeks, but also Pacheco's been getting a lot of the carries. Um, so kind of what does that run game look like? And yeah, like... <sighs> It's hard to see the Chiefs making the same mistakes that they did last time, uh, particularly because the fucking refereeing crew isn't the same one as it was last <laughs> week. So that'll be that'll be a big plus for us. Um, yeah, this is the thing. Just as a side note, I can't get over the fact that it was fucking 500 yards to 200 yards of offense. Like that was what it was last week, and then it went to overtime. Um, but yeah, look, this is the Seattle team that can get feisty. I do like Geno Smith. I like some of what they do. I also really am not happy with the Chiefs' defense at the moment. Um, I get the idea behind it, but it only works if the whole team is clicked on and is doing the full four quarters on offense that style, which it hasn't been the last couple of weeks. So, like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not loving it, but I still think that they will hold serve at home because they're kind of hoping for Buffalo to to, to drop a game. 
Yeah, and I think like this is going to be a very cold game if, if I'm aware, and obviously, yeah. you know, it's minus like... fifteen at the moment uh, expected on the morning of it, so it'll be a little bit warmer than that by the time it's on. But yeah, so while fancy managers probably would like Mahomes to go for like, you know, five hundred yards and four touchdowns and everything like that, this seems more like a game where, even though maybe they could win by more by getting Mahomes more involved, it makes might make sense to run Pacheco and McKinnon down the throat of the Seattle defense, which has been completely unable to stop the run over the last month or so, and just kind of grind this game out, keep running up that score. And against the Seattle offense now, missing Tyler Lockwood, who's such an essential part of that offense, like DK Metcalf, you can cover him, you can double cover him and just see if a guy like Marquise Goodwin or whoever can beat you. I don't think they can. Uh, they're fine for like special plays, but if they're like wide receiver two, you're pretty much in trouble. And with Kenneth Walker potentially missing this game, that's just another step down as the other running backs for Seattle are just bad. And they're mostly kind of, you know, uh, complimentary guys so look the, like Seattle have shown fight this season Geno Smith is, as I said he's not the problem with this team but given the injuries given the issues in defence it's hard to see Kansas City losing in Arrowhead yeah uh, next up we have New Orleans at Cleveland Ronan another one where I've decided to take New Orleans because you boys are both on Cleveland yeah it's one of these technically irrelevant bowls but we're not going to give them the satisfaction talking about them in any depth like the Orleans defense has stepped up a little bit in recent weeks so I think that gives them a shot against obviously a Cleveland offense that's finding itself it's just Sean Watson you know slowly is morphing into an approximation of what he used to be as a quarterback uh you know also but he's obviously always been a shitty person so don't worry about that part uh but you know for New Orleans the problem is that our offense is reliant on Taysom Hill magic bullshit the kind of because Dalton's just so milquetoast he's so meh uh, and the re- like, at least they got Alvin Kamara going there, so they have something there. So I think this is a pretty close game, but neither of these teams are particularly inspiring to watch. So uh, probably one for the purists only. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, we have Cincinnati at New England. We've gone for Cincinnati across the board. The question is, can Belichick and his defense do what he's been trying to do all year and just confuddle Burrow and company and cause them to not be able to play the kind of nice-looking set of football they've been doing? Uh, since our defense has been kind of better of late, I was watching a uh, friend of the show, Shane, sent me on a very interesting video about how what Cincinnati have been using uh, for their protection for Burrow of late with this um, essentially putting a gap on one side of the line and running a spacing move that's used more in college. Um, if there's any truth to that, Belichick is exactly the kind of man who will just exploit the living shit out of that because overall there tends to be reasons why these little elements haven't been added into uh, NFL level playbooks uh, and if it, it, if anyone's going to figure out how to how to overpower it, it'll be him uh, provided now obviously the slight limitations of the personnel, Sean. Yeah, no, I'm I'm just gone off this this Pats team at the moment. They obviously, you know, the the defensive grind and the you, you've gone off the intentionally terrible football team. <laughs> I I was really enjoying it. Like in the middle of the season, is kind of like a you know trolling of football as a concept, but. It just, I just, I've just lost, I've just lost my love for this team. They're just really bad and they're being held up by the fact that they've got a great coaching, but they have very little talent and it's beginning to be exposed. I mean, I think they'll come up with a great plan and they'll probably try and drag the, the Bengals and, and, and Burrow and stuff down to their level. But ultimately, they're going to have to score some points at some time. And this Pats offense is just not doing an awful lot of anything at the moment. And I just don't... Against what is a pretty good Cincinnati defense, I think that's going to be the difference. I think definitely Balachik will will kill a lot of the Joe Burrow magic. Maybe not the whole amount, but he'll bring them down and, and reduce the amount of points they score. But the other side is going to be a disaster area. I just... Yeah, I just... 
there comes a point when I want joy in my life and the paths just are not giving yeah. me any joy whatsoever at the moment. They're not bringing much joy to Mac Jones right now either. Uh, the relationships what? between him and the offensive quarter and its offensive line are getting pretty touchy. Yeah, I was going to say, like, do we do we, do we think that like we'll get to see a, a punch-up between him and Matt Patricia at some point? I hope Hopefully so. not. <laughs> That'd be amazing. God, Matt Patricia is so bad. They're failing at an entirely new role. Matt Patricia is the kind of guy who would start a fight but be terrible at fighting. Yeah, and yeah, would yeah. Lose yeah. Terribly, yeah. Um, next up, we have the Giants at the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I've decided to take the Giants again in my contrarianness, and you boys have taken the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, look, the Giants are fighting for uh, for a playoff spot uh, in the wild cards after that Washington win. This is a Minnesota team that massively overperformed and is loving the smell of their own farts after what we discussed was actually not that impressive a performance giants team that just kind of does basic things correct runs the ball well and you know won't shit away a massive lead if they happen to get one might just be the kryptonite to the minnesota vikings um but yeah to be honest i can see minnesota winning this it's I think this says everything about why I don't really rate the Minnesota Vikings too highly. Because I look at this as a game between two evenly matched teams, even though one of them has like six more wins than the other one. Yeah, definitely. Like, this is a game where... Look, I think the Giants, in terms of talent, are, are definitely outmatched, particularly if you're talking offense versus offense. Mm. Uh, but, you know, Minnesota's defense has been terrible. It's been one of the worst in the league, except in terms of uh, points allowed, and that they're bottom third. Um, so it's definitely a situation where if this Giants the offense can get going and actually start putting up decent numbers, which they haven't really done in a long time, uh, but they have Saquon Barkley who finally had a good game. You know, Daniel Jones is capable of running the ball. You know, maybe they have to get some of their pass catchers involved against these terrible defensive backs. If they can just put up maybe like they have to put up at least twenty points, I think, to have a chance here. Yeah. Uh, but I think you know, on the other hand, the Giants defense has also been playing pretty solid. Kevin Thibodeau just had a big game there. They have a lot of young stars there. They could definitely make trouble for Kirk Cousins if they're on there. But you know, the problem is like the Minnesota like you know. They're incredibly flaky, and uh, incredibly annoying. Like I'm probably less, the least annoyed. I'm even I'm a little annoyed at this point. Um, but they are definitely on paper and in terms of how they played, probably more talented still than the Giants. So I, I still have to favor them. But you know, yeah. if, the, if the if the Vikings could just have a boring win where they kind of just go, okay, we're better and just win by like ten points. That would probably be good for their reputation because right now they get blown out or they have incredibly stupid wins. Um, they need to do something else yeah. uh, if people can take them seriously going to the playoffs. Yeah, it's. I mean, this it's the state of the NFC that we talk about these two teams as playoff teams and neither of them get them all that exciting. Uh, I mean, I think the Giants are mostly just young players plus really smart coaching. I mean, the Vikings are the kind of team you can probably scheme against pretty effectively and and eliminate most of what they what they're capable of. I mean, this yeah, the 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 Vikings are obviously I'm not very high on them and I mean, honestly, I'm going back and forth. I have a, a temptation to go for the Giants here because I think they might be able to grind it out. But I mean, if the Vikings want to demonstrate that they are a playoff caliber team, these are the kind of teams they should be beating. So you got to give them the 11 wins. You got to give them the nod. But I would not be surprised to see them lose this game, like you know, 13-12 or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, Buffalo at Chicago. Sean, tell us why we've went for Buffalo across the board. Well, because they're the better team, and the Thanks. Chicago Next Bears time. are are just, the Chicago Bears are just one man, and that man is he does an awful lot of exciting things, but ultimately he is just one man. Whereas the Buffalo Bills are at least fifty three, you know, uh, professional footballers who turn up every day and play well. Well, fifty two, uh, so we're not really rating Cole Beasley, right? <laughs> okay, I will I will take 
that, yes, yeah. Um, so yeah, basically the builds are a complete side on both sides of the ball. They're they're beginning to you feel that it's all, it's all coming together. They're a little bit of a shaky mid-season, but things are coming together. Josh Allen is incredible, especially in fourth quarters and tight games. On the other side, the the Bears have the probably the most exciting up-and-coming quarterback in the game, but they have literally nothing else. Um, the, what we can maybe hope for is that this will be some sort of bad weather game that will be, you know, epic in in a bad way. But yeah, the builds. The Bills should not have any problems taking care of this of this really terrible Chicago defense. Yeah, mainly it's by Fields going for the, the rushing record. Go Fields! Next up, Washington at San Francisco. We've gone for San Francisco across the board. Look, the question is, can this Washington defensive line with a couple of the guys back plug up Christian McCaffrey because he is a lot of what the San Francisco team is? Uh, can, you know, Purdy, the man named after Dully All Potatoes, uh, keep this up or will the tape finally show... Why you can't just use Mr. Irrelevance the whole time. Uh, is, oh, I, I like this Washington team a little bit, but I think we've seen that they're not quite there yet at the moment. I think just the defense on the San Francisco side is going to win this one for them. Um, and yeah, uh, Chris McCaffrey uh, will do his stuff and they'll, 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 they'll scheme out some bits. Uh, obviously, they'd like to have Debo here for this one, but like the defense is going to crush them. Like Heineke's a fun quarterback, but he's also very... Uh, interception and fumble prone. He's very capable of making turnovers, and he kind of got lucky in his run of getting those wins. So I would definitely see this as a situation where San Francisco defense could easily just take over here, get a bunch of turnovers, and make this an easy, trivial win for San Francisco. It's also a situation where if CMC gets going, this Washington defense, it'd been good, but then allowed over 100 yards to Saquon, so maybe the run defense isn't quite where it needs to be. And we're still waiting to see if Chase Young makes an appearance this year, so it's kind of been weird there. Uh, but I think that Heineke versus San Francisco defense is probably the difference. But, you know, Purdy, we're now multiple weeks into this. Our defense is going to cotton on to what he can and can't do. And will that make a difference before the end of the regular season? Obviously, they're in the playoffs already, so maybe they'll start holding stuff back. But, you know, they're still technically in the running for that number one seed with San Francisco, obviously, Philly having a change in circumstance. But, yeah. yeah. San Francisco should win, but I wouldn't count Washington completely. They've been capable of some surprise uh, performances mm. this year. Yeah, the 49ers are a much better team than Washington. That's my that's my contribution. <laughs> uh, next one is Ronan's pick of the week because uh, he just loves the NFC East. Philadelphia at Dallas. Uh, myself and Sean have gone for Philly and Fitz has gone for Dallas in this one. Um, yeah, interesting. So you're just, you, you just don't think Minshew can do it. I don't know about that. Like, it's just a situation where... You know, obviously a change of quarterback, you never know what's going to happen. This game, I would say, is now probably more closer to 50-50 than it would be if Jalen Hurts was healthy and starting. Uh, but the Minshew mania, you know, magic could be interesting to see. Obviously, you're putting him into an offense which is ready to go. Um, obviously, you have two playmakers in Devonta Smith and A.J. Brown who are doing well. Miles Sanders has had a really good season here going over 1,000 yards. And, you know, the offensive line is one of the best in the league, led by Kelsey, obviously, at center, who seems every week to have just, you know, a clear-out play where the, it's easy for um, the quarterback to make a, a running play. And I think that's going to be the most interesting thing is, like, Minshew is a fairly mobile quarterback, but not quite at Jalen Hurts' level. So it'll be interesting to see whether they choose to kind of have him kind of do what I would say is his more improvisational style, <laughs> for lack of a better term, <laughs> which is just kind of running around and doing stuff and just seeing what happens, which, to be fair, when he played for Jacksonville, a team who had no offense, that made sense. Where, But will he rely on that or just kind of play within the system and allow Sirianni to kind of do what he likes to doing? Uh, and that will kind of make sense. And, of course, against the Dallas defense, which obviously has been pretty fearsome this year, especially at defensive line, that's a pretty big challenge to come in against. Now, the big thing is, like last week against Jacksonville, we saw Dallas's secondary, which has been severely depleted by injuries over the recent weeks get absolutely shredded so obviously as i said those two big wide receivers you know if Minshew 
has the arm, he can probably go deep on these guys. He can probably fling it up and just see what happens in 50-50 situations. And they can put on the type of offense they had with Jalen Hurts. And this is a really important game here because, like, basically, if Philly get this, the number one seed is almost certainly theirs. Um, they will wrap up the division for certain. Um, so it would be nice for them to get that out of the way and have the opportunity to maybe the rest players going forward, uh, obviously including Hurts. Uh, but, you know, Dallas, they're fighting. Um, they're obviously in the play- wildcard hunt. But, you know, this is obviously for pride as much as anything. Um, but Dallas, you know, I think Sean mentioned it in the, in the reviews. They've just been a little bit off recently. You know, Mike yeah. McCarthy's kind of wibble-wobble nature has been coming up more and more often in the field. And Dak Prescott just hasn't been quite the same guy in recent weeks. So I think for them in particular, against a really tough Philly defense, which is actually getting more healthy as we get down the stretch. You know, if they can put up a good, solid offensive performance where they don't make, you know, mistakes, run the ball well with Zeke and Pollard, you know, get it to C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup, avoid those big mistakes, then that would be a big fillip for them as they enter into, you know, the end of the season. But, you know, just a fun game. There isn't really that much at stake, really, technically. Uh, but I think that actually makes it a bit more fun for me. And obviously the Minshew, uh, the Minshew mania factor just makes it a little bit more spicy overall. No, of course. I, uh... I think the players will definitely be up for it, though. I mean, it's a division rival. And even if the Cowboys can't really overhaul the Eagles in terms of divisional standards to... To take a win off them will kind of, you know, they can say, well, we're the real winners here. You're the frauds kind of thing. I think there's definitely bragging rights at, up for grab. And I mean, I, I, I really enjoy watching Gardner Minshew play. Uh, uh, it'll at least be exciting um, to see what he does against this Dallas uh, defense. But for me, I mean, the Cowboys, I think they're back to show me what you can do for me. I, I think I, I've stopped trusting them. And now they have to, to give me a, a demonstration of what they're capable of because side the Eagles have... I haven't been huge in them for a very long time, but um, they have been proving that they are capable of winning games and, and quite comfortable, and they've got a good kind of offensive stuff going on. But I agree with you. It does, does come down to how they scheme up this quarterback situation. Obviously, Minshew's not quite Jalen Hurts, so they'll they'll have to adjust somewhat. And the Dallas defense, even with its defensive injuries and stuff, they can, they can be predatory on those kinds of things. So I think it'll be an interesting game just in terms of but also potentially for how these teams might look in a playoff scenario, what they will look like against each other, because they may very well run into each other in a divisional round or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, we have Vegas taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, again, contrarian, but I'm not loving this one. Taking Vegas, and you guys are taking Pittsburgh. Like Pittsburgh are trying to get to 500 to keep that streak alive, pickets back. Um but this just feels like exactly the stupid kind of game that Vegas will then win and then point to as an excuse for not changing anything next year. Um, but yeah, it's dumb game. Two teams that are going nowhere. Um, yeah, basically just can Vegas put up a stupid win uh, or can Pittsburgh keep the dream of, you know, winning eight and a half games alive? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, only thing the only thing that really matters in the NFL right now is the Tomlin streak. That's, the that's, stakes that's have never been so... <laughs> fucking irrelevant um next up to my pick of the week actually green bay at miami we got from miami across the board i'm just intrigued by this one because like i said kind of liked what i saw out of miami this week against the bills kind of want to see what they'll do at home against green bay see if two is looking a little bit healthier whereas green bay are actually shaping up a little bit more uh looking like they're actually might be going at a wild card spot their offense has really kind of come back together but you know it's a defense that Miami should be able to get going against. So um, I'd imagine we'll see some exciting plays. Like, should be good offense, should be good defense. Overall, it's not like the highest, you know, the highest ranking game. But I just think this should be entertaining to look at two teams trying to round themselves into form. One almost certainly looking at a wild card, the other one hoping to get there. But I'd like, I think it could be a compelling game. 
yeah, like Green Bay are solid, and I think they're slightly better than their record. And to be honest, I would probably take them over the NFC East team because I think after having a mid-season swoon of just being absolutely terrible, the last few weeks or so, the offensive lines got healthy. They got some of their weapons back. Christian Watson's obviously been a X factor over the last month or so, and the defense has you know stopped being completely terrible. So they they're kind of looked like what they should have been this year, which is a Good team in major decline, but not completely fucked yet. But Miami, obviously, an ascending team with obviously incredibly great weapons. And unless Green Bay can shut down Tyreek Hill, which I just don't think they have the case, you know, Jair no. Alexander, he'll have to have a great game to make this a contest. But even to do that, like Waddle's there, Mostert's there, you know, Miami are favorites for good reason. Yeah, yeah I think so. Uh, next up is Tampa Bay at Arizona. Ronan, tell us why we're backing Tom Terrific. Uh, and is it to something to do with the fact that it's uh, probably McSorley quarterback? Yeah, that's it. Like, literally, Tampa Bay are so bad right now, you're kind of looking for the other reasons to win. But, like, Trace McSurley is terrible. Um, You know, they don't really have much on offense. Like, they have DeAndre Hopkins. They have James Conner. They have weapons. But this guy doesn't look capable of using them based on what we saw in the game against uh, Denver last week. Uh, Tampa Bay are perfectly capable of losing this game. But based on their difference in quality, they should win and, and keep control of the NFC South. But... You know, this game is going to be terrible, let's be honest. And it's unfortunately right in the middle of Christmas Day. Well, maybe that's fortunate if you want to talk to your family. Well, this is what I mean. So this current slate is the Christmas Day slate. So we got the Green Bay-Miami game, which is a little bit more compelling, but like still not top tier. Tampa Bay-Arizona, ugh. Next one, I'm going to talk about Denver, the Rams. Ugh. Uh, we're going to all go for Denver in this one. Um, yeah, like... The Rams are basically in shutdown mode. Denver are trying to justify having spent a quarter of a billion dollars on this guy, so they're going to really be fucking going for it. Um, yeah, one of these coaches wants to keep his job and is in threat. The other is like, I'm just going to cut. Like, I'm putting everyone in IOR. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's just a bit of a bit of a messy one. But yeah, so we're going to go for Denver and presume that that's kind of... Yeah, like Baker's not going to do anything. Nothing's going to be too surprising here. Um yeah, um, and then but... a game which we thought would be boring, but sudden X factor coming in late with the chair, big oh. dick Satan Nick coming in a quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts to oh, spice up what looked yeah, like it was going to be a they... terrible Monday night football. I was gonna, Chargers. I was, I, I was going to say that was that was that Colts. was that was breaking in breaking news while while you were doing the dump off there. So um, there's a combination of as we were saying in the in in, in the early section, like. Yeah, you cannot you cannot roll out Matt Ryan behind that Indianapolis coastline. Um, he's just awful. But apparently, there's a good business reason for this as well. That it's written into his contract that if he is injured by the second day of next year's season, he is guaranteed um, seventeen million dollars or something. So I think they're just going. We don't want you even as a backup enough to run a risk of actually having to pay you seventeen million dollars <laughs> next year. So we're just taking you the fuck off the field. I like. I look. This game probably still isn't going to be good because the Apples are actually bad. But, you know, Sean is just going with a late game pick change. He's coming into the holiday season. He believes in St. Nick and his big dick, Sean. Why are you picking the Apples? I, 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 have, I have seen St. Nick's big dick in action. Uh... <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> We've lost control of this whole thing. <laughs> I know what he's capable of. Uh, I gotta, I gotta go. I mean, the Chargers are up and down and whatever. Yeah. You know, Herbert is exciting, but being ill-used and they're not living up to potential. The Colts are an awful mess, but you know, 
Nick Foles is Nick Foles. He will he will bring the magic. He will bring his A game. He'll be throwing it out up there, and it's going to be exciting. And you never know. You never know. I've decided just on a whim. I'm four four games up in in the picks. I, I can I can waste a pick here on 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 watching what would be a, an exciting moment. I mean, it's it's bizarre. This cold season's been all over the place. They've had Nick Foles sitting on the bench this whole time. They've been playing Matt Ryan and, and Sam uh, Erlinger. It's just. Oh, it just defies belief. But finally, the universe has been righted, and and the real MVP uh, walks onto the onto the stage like, for the big game. So, Sean, you say you remember Big Dick Saint Nick. Like, do you remember him in the last couple of years? Because he has been terrible. Like, I, I anything past that Super Bowl where he crushed uh, my <laughs> my beautiful Pats has been erased from my memory. He was fine-ish with the Bears, I think, for a while, wasn't he? It's uh, called a Christmas. Christmas miracle, Connor. It's a Christmas miracle, and let's see if Saint Nick can Look, deliver. Look, and also nobody wants to see like Nick Foles three or four weeks into the run, but Nick Foles on his first big game back, he is going on prime time. He's going to bring the magic. I can feel it. Excellent, excellent. So, uh, yeah, I I'd like to see it because uh, I do think I think the Chargers, as much as I want a division rival to fail, they need to just figure out that they need to swap that coaching staff and hopefully you know losing to indianapolis at the tail end of christmas might give them the the, the big push to actually make that change um but yeah sure that'll wrap us up for the moment so uh what's our christmas plans you're already up in cavan mm, i'm pretty much in sconce there for the next uh week and a half or so so uh lots of chocolate and football and family so very good yeah i'm t- i'm heading down to Kerry tomorrow and uh yeah, we'll be back up, I think, here for New Year's. So that'll be that'll be fun. And then uh, up to Donegal at some point in January. What about yourself, Sean? Yeah, we're going to try and do a long weekend in Athlone. Obviously, my, my fiancé works an incredible amount, but luckily they she usually gets Christmas Day off from the hospital. So we've got we've got three days. We're going to go up. We're going to go Friday night and come back Monday night. Um, and that nice. will be our Christmas at home in Athlone. Uh, and then, yeah, then after that, I've got... Next week, going to, to Liverpool to uh, watch my beloved Reds play at Anfield for the first time, which would be exciting. For very, a cool. very cool. Very um, cool. Yeah, so, yeah. No, that sounds all very exciting. We all know that you won't be there alone. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I suppose, as always, like drop us emails and stuff if you have anything. But uh, for now, that'll do us for this week. So uh, it's bye from myself. Bye from Ronan. Bye. Bye from Sean. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening, and we'll chat to you next week. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. 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 That's Nick Foles' job. (laughs) 